Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I am doing great. What a great weekend. Grilled a little bit last night. Mrs. B and I had a wonderful afternoon. All is good. Hey, I don't know if you saw some of the pictures of my grandson, Wei J, hanging out with alligators and stingrays at the aquarium. It was pretty awesome. If you haven't seen it, you should go to my go to my Twitter and take a look. It's fun. At E. Bischoff, shout out to Wei J. And shout out to you guys for showing up for what is going to be a very good episode, a very different episode. Of course, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about all things WWE and Vince McMahon and a potential sale talk and all that. We're getting back to our regularly scheduled program with a twist. Later today, we will have a guest. That's right. The one and only Marcus Buff Bagwell will be here on the program as we celebrate his entire career in WCW today. But first, let's just start at the beginning. Our plan was to talk about Buff, oh, about three weeks ago. Uh, because buff uh had a birthday earlier this month he's only 53 years old born january 10th 1970 in marietta georgia we're going to talk about all that but goodness gracious man that jumps off the page to me because this is a guy who was last on uh quote unquote national television 22 years ago so at 30 31 years old uh his uh television career I mean, that, that's, that's when most guys are finally, quote-unquote, starting to make it. He had already had a whole career on TV by that point. He started incredibly young and enjoyed incredible success at a very young age, right? He did, and I'm, I'm going to be anxious to hear from, from, uh, from Buff at the end of this episode um, because I've been tracking him, you know, I, I, uh, social media, and, and you know, I, I see Buff occasionally – out on the road at conventions and so forth. My impression, long distance impression, right, from what I see and what I hear, suggests to me that 
he's got a handle on this. And if anybody can pull it off, you know, he started very young. Yeah, he did. He had an amazing career at a very early age and he, he was pretty much done at a very early age. And unfortunately for Marcus, he put him, you know, he put him, he aged himself quite a bit during that off period, right. With some of the challenges he's had, but if he can address those challenges and overcome those challenges, chronologically, at least, you know, here's a guy at 53 years old that has two careers worth of experience yeah. in the ring. Let's see what happens. I'm excited for him. I can't wait to hear from him. I'm excited to hear from him too. I think we're all pulling for, you know, the next great success story in wrestling and, I, and I'm pulling for that to be buff. And I just want to take a time out, you know, and I know we're, we're getting off track right up front because we're talking about buff, but boy, do we got to give our flowers to diamond Dallas page today? The impact he's had, not just on wrestling, but on the world is really immeasurable. And I know that there's the cynical wrestling fan who has their opinion of this or that, but the reality is DDPY has helped a lot of people change their lifestyle and take better control of their health. But now he's actually reached out, man, more than a decade ago, I think at this point, uh, to Jake, the snake and Scott hall. And most recently with buff Bagwell, and you just can't argue with that support because here's the reality. I don't think Dallas has some special degree in recovery or whatever. I don't, I don't think he's licensed in that regard or anything like that, but never underestimate the power of someone believing in you and someone pulling for you and someone supporting you and being there. That's what DDP has done. Most of all is allow these guys perhaps and girls who are trying to change their life, whether it's their diet or their physical prowess or what have you, or their addiction, just to know that, Hey man, somebody still cares and we're still pulling for you and we're here and we believe in you. Dallas has done that for a lot of folks. And I don't think it gets talked about nearly enough. You know, one of the interesting things about, and I've known Dallas since way back in 1987, AWA days and really got to know Dallas in WCW when we were neighbors, obviously Dallas, if it wasn't for Dallas, I may have never gotten hired at WCW. And we've told that story in the past. I won't go into it now, but DDP helped me at at a point in time when I wasn't sure he'd do anything, but bury me. He helped me achieve something that changed my life. And then fast forward, you know, go into 95 and 96 and 97 Chris Canyon, Sugar Shane Helms, you know, so many of those guys that ended up being important parts of WCW, that was Dallas's little, that was his team. That was the people that were trying to break into the business that needs needed guidance, needed support. And Diamond Dallas Page, almost obnoxiously so, from my perspective, um, worked endlessly to not only try to help those guys individually, but to nurture their careers and get them an opportunity into WCW. There's a lot of great talent that emerged in WCW. Some of whom are working in WWE today, Jamie Noble, that would have never gotten an opportunity in WCW. Therefore probably wouldn't have gotten an opportunity in WWE for those that, that, that progressed that far, but it's because diamond loves helping people and all the only difference between Diamond Dallas Page now and Diamond Dallas Page then is he's now helping people in a different way. 
helping people has always been at the core of DDP's motivation and instincts. It's a part of who he is, and it's just manifesting in a much broader way that's helping more people. It's really amazing to watch him. Well, we're going to keep watching him and certainly uh, keep up with Buff. Let's uh, let's tell Buff's story today. You know, he was a, a Golden Gloves boxing champion, um, and uh, he did that as as a young man. And then he gets in some acting, and, and this isn't something I even noticed at the time. But about ten years ago, someone pointed out he was in Hulk Hogan's movie. Uh, I, I can't believe this is real, but the uh, the helicopter scene. Uh, there's Marcus Bagwell as a young man. I don't think that's him, Steve, in, in your shot here, but that's certainly the scene where it happens. Uh, but yeah, he was in Hulk Hogan's movie way back in 1989. But somehow he settles on uh, a wrestling career. And uh, according to Buff, I think he credits Missy Hyatt, who I believe uh, lived in his neighborhood at the time, with getting him into the wrestling business. Did you hear of the Missy Hyatt-Buff Bagwell connection? You know, I just read that uh, recently, like within the last month or two. So I wasn't aware of it. You know, when it happened, and keep in mind, I wasn't in management when that happened. You know, the buff came in through through Dusty. Um, so, I no, I wasn't aware of it. But interesting tidbit. Yeah, nice little trivia note there. Um, he, he gets trained by Steve Lawler, works with Joe Petticino, who was uh, trying to pop some stuff off there in, in Atlanta. Before moving to the Global Wrestling Federation there, he's going to be mentored by Eddie Gilbert, Missy's then husband. And Scott Levy, who we all know today, is Raven. And maybe he's one of the more ideal candidates to get into wrestling at the time. He's a handsome, good-looking dude with a bodybuilder shape. And when you take a look at the way wrestling was back then, it's kind of curious to me that he didn't get a, a more serious look from the WWF back then. Doesn't yeah, it feel it, like it, he sort of checks all of Vince's boxes to you? Um, I mean, obviously, Buff looked great you know, when he broke into to WCW, but I don't know how tall buff is, but I'm guessing he's on, he's six foot or under. And I think at that time, now we're going back to what early nineties. That's right. At that time, I think, uh, he was too short for that ride, <laughs> you know, in, in Vince's opinion, all that's right. changed now. Right. We see guys sure. that are, you know, five, 10, 175 pounds that are, you know, at the top of the game, but back then, not so much. Well, humble beginnings before he was buff, he was known as the handsome stranger, which was essentially him wrestling in a Zorro mask and some white tights. Uh, but then you arrive in WCW just a few months before Bagwell comes into the company. And I think the story is that dusty had Magnum TA call buff to bring him in. What was Magnum's role in the company way back when you first started? You know, when I first started, as I've said previously, uh, Dusty made a real effort to include me, not, not in discussions, not talking about creative or anything, but he would always invite me in his office to hang out and we'd talk about hunting or we'd talk about whatever we talked about, right? We just had, our personalities were similar. Our interests were similar, I should say, in many respects. But Dusty always kind of kept me close. Um, I don't know if it was a situation where, as the saying goes, keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. And maybe perhaps Dusty just wasn't quite sure about me. Uh, or he, he just had the, the, the graciousness, I guess, to kind of mentor me. And I believe that to be true. 
you know, somebody more cynical would look at it the other way. I believe that Dusty really wanted to help me and, and develop me as a wrestling personality. Um, but Dusty also, you know, there were a couple guys that were also very close to Dusty that would be in that room when we were just chatting about whatever or telling old wrestling stories, which was my favorite part of hanging around with Dusty because Dusty could tell a freaking story, not only in the ring, but just sitting around. And it was fascinating to me. Uh, again, growing up as a fan of Dusty, now I'm sitting there listening to Dusty Rhodes in his office telling me stories I'd never heard of before. But Magnum was always in that room. My Graham was in that room. Um, yeah, that was his that was his team. Like when Dusty would actually, you know, sit down and collaborate, which wasn't that much. Dusty's pr- approach was generally, all right, let's sit around and we'll throw some ideas around. And then he'd go into his office and he never usually shut his door until he was working on creative, which everybody knew don't mess with, don't, don't interrupt Dusty. Don't, you know, don't ask to come in and talk about something when his door's closed. But Magnum, I think was one of those people that was always close to Dusty and always had his ear. I think you first met buff. Um, if my timeline is right here in, in, in 1991, what was your first impression of Marcus? First impression, um, it was super high energy. You know, he had no fear. I mean, when I say no fear, I mean, he, he came into that locker room and it was like he'd been there for 10 years. He, he wasn't intimidated. Now, if he was, he didn't show it, but he was so comfortable and sum it up in one word, self-confident. Actually, that's two words, but you know what I mean? Yeah. He's just really confident in himself. It wasn't like he came in as the new guy and, you know, humble and, and, and he was humble. He was respectful, but man, he just acted like he knew everybody in that locker room for 10 years. Well, confidence is key. I mean, that's for sure. And you could see that he had it right away. His, his first match with the company is a dark match at a worldwide taping in Gainesville, Georgia, where he's going to lose to the veteran Mike Graham. He has another dark match at center stage and very quickly Bagwell makes it to the major stage. His television debut is with Missy Hyatt at the clash of the champions in Savannah. He's portrayed as the newest rookie being trained by Mike Graham and Dustin Rhodes. At this point, what did you think the ceiling was? It's always hard to tell. You know, sometimes you you take a look at a talent and you say, man, that guy's got it. He's going to be a top guy. He's going to make it, whatever. And other times you think, well, he might could make a living. Uh, Clearly, Buff, at least to me as a fan at the time, Marcus jumped off the page as saying, hey, this guy's going to be a big deal in wrestling. Did you see that right away too? I did, but not for the, you know, obvious reasons or, or, or the reasons people would think, you know, did I see him performing in the ring and make some kind of qualified judgment that this guy is going to make it? No, I didn't do that. That's just not, that's just not me because I didn't look at the world and the business from the eyes of a wrestler. I looked at it through a different lens because I wasn't a wrestler, but what I did know that a lot of people didn't know because I did hang out with Dusty and Magnum and others in that room telling stories. I knew how excited Dusty was about Buff. And by default, I pretty much believed, and again, you look at, you know, I looked at Buff and physically, you just look at him as a character on television. Let's see, does the camera like him? Check that box. Has he got just inherent charisma? Was he lucky enough to be born with that it thing that people talk about? 
check that box. Looks like he, you know, from my perspective as a non-wrestler and someone that didn't really analyze wrestling from a technical perspective, it looked to me like he could go in a ring, check that box. Oh, and yeah, Dusty loves him. <laughs> None of those other boxes matter. He's gone. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, we'll check all your boxes. And I'm pretty sure without even asking, this is buff approved. We're talking about the beard hedger. That's right. Manscaped now sells beard products. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet. By going to manscaped.com, using the code 83 weeks for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame your mane. Everybody likes a weird beard, so... Say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. Now, this thing is like a juggernaut of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 positions of precision, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. That's right. Face grooming doesn't need to be hard. You get 20 different lengths in just one guard. Plus, it's waterproof. She can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The blade is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single stroke efficiency, which Tony Schiavone's had down since the 80s. And that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. The pro kit doesn't end there, though. They've created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. First, there's the beard shampoo and conditioner. Now, you need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. And that's why this kit has made a shampoo and conditioner specially designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, replace natural oils, and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's beard oil, an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No one wants a guy whose beard is brittle and dry. The oil relieves the dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath while adding a little shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine. Cap off the kit with the beard balm, a prom, a pomade easy for me to say that shapes styles, moisturizes and tames for a sculpted look to attract any fellows or dames. By the way, the pro beard kit also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, a comb and scissors to ensure that your beard is ready to impress. What are you waiting for? Stop fooling around with a funky beard. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 83 weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use that promo code 83 weeks manscaped beard hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. How about that, man? That's a pretty cool innovation. I've never even heard of that one guard for 20 lengths. I'm going to grow a beard just so I can use it. You like that <laughs> Tony Schiavone's had single stroke efficiency down for. 40 years, huh? That was a oh, good that's, that's particularly easy for Tony, but we won't go into the specifics. <laughs> yes, we won't. We'll save that for another time. So listen, uh, just a handful of matches in, and Bagwell's in a big spot already. Starcade 91, he's going to open the show in a lethal lottery match, teaming with uh, Jim Garvin to defeat, to defeat Michael Hayes and Tracy Smothers. That earns him a shot in the Battle Bowl. Listen, I understand that uh, maybe we didn't love the Battle Bowl concept, but to be this early in your wrestling career and on a Starcade pay-per-view and getting the win, this is a big deal. You know, and you, you think back, 
I don't, I can't remember how old Buff was when he broke into WCW, but 20. relatively early in his career, right? Yeah. Only 20 years old, maybe whatever he was. 1920 to achieve that much success when you are that young, dare I say immature, I can speak from personal experience that I believe men typically mature at a rate about six or seven years behind women. When I think back of myself, when I was 19 or 20, I was really 15 or 16 at best. You know what I mean? And to, and to get to have that much success so early in his career, and on top of that, it's such such a young age, that's kind of overwhelming, and would be interesting for anybody to handle because typically, you've been in the business for five, seven, eight, ten years, and kind of have a much better perspective. So when you walk through the door and bam, four months later, here you are getting the push of a lifetime and you're still only 19 or 20 years old. It's a lot of pressure for a young man. It is. And I'm glad you said it like that because I do think a lot of people sort of gloss over this, but let's just remind everybody that when buff starts in WCW, he's too young to rent a car. There are some hotel rooms that wouldn't rent him a room. Like you've got to be a certain age to do these sort of things. He's still not there. And as you know, wrestling can be for lack of a better word, a very political space. So there's a lot of guys who are just going to be threatened by his mere presence. Here's this young, good looking, handsome, jacked up baby face here to take my spot, brother. So he's got to deal with all of that. And oh, by the way, he's probably got a six figure income as a 20 year old. And he's probably not had that sort of disposable cash before. And he's a national television star. So not only is he a good looking dude who's on TV and got a pocket full of cash, but he's surrounded at work at his workplace by sharks and the world is not made for him to be there. He's not old enough to rent a car and things like this. And now he's got all the pressure of celebrity and, and things coming too fast, too soon. And yet he rides it out. I mean, that would be uh, that sort of pressure, Eric, to your point, we've seen how many athletes get that level of access and success and fame and fizzle immediately it becomes almost fight or flight in those type situations, does it not? It it it, it becomes self destructive, yeah. Because I think you at a at an early age, and whether it's in the NFL or anywhere else, you know, we we hear it more often, or most recently, I guess, in the NFL. But man, you, you have to be mentally and emotionally mature enough to really process that much success that quickly, because it can mess you up. I'm trying to get not to swear in the show so far. I've been doing pretty good. It can really mess you up and affect your judgment going forward. It just, it becomes overwhelming. You know, how many times have we read and heard to your point, Conrad, how many times have we read and heard about a young NFL prospect, you know, ended up going out and doing things that either ended his or her career or sabotaged it. So people, you know, when you're not, when you've never experienced it, when when you can't really understand or relate to it because your life is is a more normal life than perhaps that of a professional athlete or professional entertainer, um, you don't really think about things like we're discussing. You don't really think about, you know, how would I have reacted when I was 19 years old to a, a ton of money, becoming a television star, 
having all of the success while guys behind you are looking for ways to pull the rug out from underneath you. That's a, that's a head trip really is. And he made it, man. He even makes it to the main event here of Starcade 91. He's going to eliminate uh, Thomas Rich and he makes it to the final six. He's eliminated by a fellow who would go on to become stone cold. That's right. Steve Austin eliminates him. Comes down to Austin, Vader, Sting, Ricky Steamboat, Scott Steiner, and Rick Rude. Pretty good company here for a young Mr. Bagwell. And in early 92, he starts a program with stunning Steve Austin, who was then the world television champion. Uh, That feud is going to lead him to team up with guys like Sting and the Steiner brothers and Tom Zink and Brian Pillman and Ricky Steamboat as they take on various incarnations of the Dangerous Alliance. This is a big opportunity. He's surrounded immediately by all of these top guys. You know, if we had to compare him to someone today, it almost feels like a guy like Austin Theory might be a modern counterpart for a Buff Bagwell when you think about how young and how quickly he was thrown into a pretty primetime spot. Wow, what a what a great analogy. Because he... I mean, I didn't even know who Austin Theory was until I'm watching Monday Night Raw or whatever it was, and here he is sitting in Vince McMahon. Now, Vince McMahon, he doesn't, Vince doesn't do that that often. He didn't do that that often, where he'd involve himself in the launch of somebody's career. He'd tag in after you were already successful, but you very rarely saw Vince McMahon actually attempt to catapult a new star by being involved creatively, at least at that level. But think about that, man. And I hadn't thought about it until you said it, but here's this young guy, comes in, great look, all the potential in the world. Oh, my gosh, Vince McMahon sees something in him, kind of like Dusty saw in, in Marcus, and launches him, like from out of nowhere, launches him right into, you know, top of the card status, top of the story status at least. Got to imagine, and then again, politically, you know, people say whatever they want. Politics still exists in every roster in any significant wrestling company that's out there. Yes, it does. So I would imagine Austin Theory probably felt a little of what Bagwell should have felt, but didn't. I don't think Bagwell cared, honestly. But yeah, very good parallel. And here's what's what else is interesting. They're both Georgia boys. Uh, Austin's from uh, McDonough, Georgia. It's like 50 miles from Marietta. So. Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload... Anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame. And you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's weeks to 87204. Text weeks to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. 
What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. The parallel in the water. Yeah. Uh, Super Brawl 2 is February 29th, uh, which is a fun date to have a show. Uh, Bagwell's going to pick up a win over Terry Taylor, who was then going under the gimmick The Taylor Made Man. He's going to keep wrestling individual matches throughout 1992, but he spends a a great deal of time teaming with Tom Zink, competing for the US, NWA, and WCW World Tag Team titles. They're going to battle the Freebirds, uh, Dr. Death, and Terry Gordy. Even has a, a few during this time with Greg Valentine in both singles and tag competition, even teaming with Shane Douglas to defeat Valentine and Dick Slater, which is uh, Valentine's last match in WCW in October of that year. And there starts to be rumors during this time that, and this is, you know, what happens when you have, uh, well, insider newsletters, that maybe he's getting calf implants. And, and of course, we know that he is, uh, I've got a bodybuilder physique, and I think there was even an MTV skit years ago about that. Did you ever hear about buff and calf implants? Oh, yeah, that was all over the place. Um, yep, heard about it. And buff took a fair amount of ribbing. I mean, that's an understatement. But, it, you know, he he went with it, you know. He had a very self-deprecating approach to dealing with the calf implants, like, right? He'd joke about it himself, you know, and it's, it was, it, yeah, it was the talk of the locker room for sure. Well, listen, uh, to each his own. And uh, we also know that uh, from January 93 to November of 96, he's going to have major tag team runs with a few different partners. The first is a short lived team with Brad Armstrong in the early part of 93. They appeared together a handful of times on worldwide and power hour and some house shows. But their only major matches were against the future Hollywood Blondes, Pillman and Austin, and a house show victory over a pretty interesting combination. Tony Atlas and Vinny Vegas. Like I, I want to see those promos. Don't you want to see some Kevin Nash, Tony Atlas promos? That would have been hilarious. I, I'm, I'm sorry, but the last Tony Atlas visual that I have in my head <laughs> was was from Christmas. <laughs> and he posted it himself, which is really weird. Um, but I can't get that image out of my head. And seeing Kevin Nash and Tony Atlas together, I'm, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to Google the internet and get a look at that. <laughs> Bagwell then's gonna team briefly with Eric Watts. He's gonna lose to uh, Pillman and Austin at Super Brawl three. And then he joins up with his first major tag team partner on the March first episode of WCW main event. He's tagging with two cold Scorpio. Now let's take a time out here, Eric, by this point in 93, I just want to understand, do you have any hand in creative when it comes to pairing guys together? Or do you recall how the whole two cold Scorpio buff Bagwell combination would have come to be? It would have been a dusty call. I mean, to answer your first question, I had zero input or knowledge of what was going on creatively. That just wasn't my lane. And I didn't try to force myself into it. Um, so no, I, I don't know how it came about. I would have, you know, it was Dusty's call, 
but it could have easily been, you know, a, a Magnum TA or, or Mike Graham or, or anybody else that Dusty, you know, listened to consistently. Well, what's fun is, you know, these guys start to become a, a pretty good duo. Like I was a, a big fan of these guys as a kid. You had this new exciting high flyer and two cold Scorpio. And it felt like for multiple years in a row, it felt as if Buff Bagwell was the rookie of the year. And on the April 6th episode of Worldwide from the Municipal Auditorium in Columbus, Georgia, we see Bagwell and Scorpio go to a 17-minute time limit draw against the Hollywood Blondes in a computer contenders challenge for the unified NWA slash WCW tag team cha- uh, championships. This is years before Taboo Tuesday or internet chat rooms or whatever, uh, but it was a little silly and uh, maybe you had to be there. But Bagwell and Scorpio keep working together with the uh, Hollywood Blondes for the tag titles, and uh, they're usually working them on the house shows, losing by pinfall. But they finally pick up a big win over the tag champs on an episode of Power Hour on May 19th, but it is by DQ. After their program with the Blondes seemingly wraps up, we see them work a lot of TV shows and house show loops against guys like the Nasty Boys and Harlem Heat and Shanghai Pierce and Tex Flanzinger, who are going to go on to be the Godwins, of course. Um, it finally happens though. Now that Teddy long is going to be added to the mix as their manager, they're going to win the tag straps from the nasty boys on October 4th uh, on WCW Saturday night, 14 minutes and 44 seconds is, uh, a really long nasty boy match, but they finally get their first taste of tag team gold, man. what did you think of that pairing Bagwell and Scorpio? I loved it. You know, you go back and watch Scorpio, two called Scorpio at that period of time. You know, he was an innovator. You know, he was doing things in the ring and, and Scorpio wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a cruiserweight, you know, he might not have been six foot five or six or seven, but he was a, he was a solid two forty, at least, and could fly like a 160 pounder. And at that time, that was kind of a new thing. And, and with Buff's looks and, and his abilities, it was a pretty dynamic team. Before we go any further, though, I'm, I'm going to do a shameless plug for adfreeshows.com and the great family that we have there. James Sorensen, who's been a part of the Adfree Shows family for as long as I can remember, who yeah, actually they- drove up from Nebraska to come and visit me and have a burger in Cody, Wyoming, and I see James everywhere. James is in Tokyo with Sonny Ono for Sting's last match with Muda. And he's wow. James has been there now for, I think, over a week. And he's traveling around with Sonny and Sonny's wife, Julie. They sent me a selfie of them on the train. I think they were going to Yokohama. And I just think it's so cool that, because of you, Conrad, and your vision for every shows and what your team, and it's a big team, have done. You are, you guys, we are, I guess, changing lives. And that's just freaking awesome. Super cool, man. Excited to see. Oh, wow. Jimmy's up early. It's 314 in the morning there as he's watching. By the way, when you sign up over at adfreeshows.com, you not only get these shows early and ad-free, but you get to be a part of our live studio audience. Doesn't get any earlier than being here while we're recording it. Uh, unfortunately, Bagwell and Scorpio uh, lose the tag straps in just three weeks back to the nasties at Halloween Havoc in uh, 1993 here. And they continue their feud against the nasties on the house shows and WCW Saturday night. And then in early 94, uh, that's sort of it 
for this team of Scorpio and Buff Bagwell because by early April, Scorpio's out of the company and Bagwell finds himself wrestling the international world wrestling heavyweight champion Rick Rude in TV matches on Worldwide and Power Hour. I liked them as a tag team, but you see a lot of great tag teams break up over the years. But when you leave the tag team scene and now you're working for the big gold belt with Rick Rude, it worked out okay, huh? Yeah, it did. And, you know, I think breaking them up, breaking them up had a little bit to do with Tuco Scorpio leaving the company, but it had a lot more to do with me because at that time I did have more influence over creative. I didn't exercise it as much as I did in 95 with the launch of Nitro in 96 and 7. But at this point, because I was also responsible for the financials of the company, so I'm looking at that roster a little differently in 1994 than perhaps somebody that was only thinking about creative. Now, I say that because just doing the math, it's not that hard to try to have a robust, meaningful tag team division means you're carrying a a lot of talent that you're not really being able to use cost effectively. Let me break that down simple. You're going to have a decent tag team division. You're going to have at least six or eight tag teams. So that's 12 or 16 talents, but you're only using, you're using four of those talents on any given show in one segment, as opposed to two talents in one segment. So just the math, the overhead of having a meaningful tag team division is kind of expensive. And in 94, all of my focus was on saving money. The old story I tell about making everybody in the WCW office go back to their desk and count how many pencils that were in their desk wasn't because I gave a damn about pencils, but I wanted people to start thinking about resources and how best to manage them. And creatively, having a tag team division at that time in 1994 was not a good use of resources. So, and, and now add that to in general, you get a tag team. That's really hot. They got hot as a tag team, but now the, the parts individually are actually worth more than the whole instead of it being the other way around. Well said, man. Um, I could listen to you talk about business forever, but I know the thing you're actually more passionate about is, uh, taking care of yourself. I know it's a big part of what low, uh, Lois is into these days with Tony, but you and Mrs. B are sort of the pioneers for all things athletic greens. I got to admit my wife actually had me start taking AG one at the start of the, uh, pandemic years ago. She wanted to optimize our immune system, but we're still using it to this day because we don't have time and we want better gut health and we want more energy. And well, if you're like me and you hate taking pills or vitamins, you probably say, Hey, if I'm going to take a supplement, I want it to taste good. Well, AG one checks all the boxes. Now, what is this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of AG one, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, everything you need to help you start your day. Right. And this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, your aging, all of the things. It's also lifestyle friendly. Whether you eat keto or paleo or vegan or dairy-free or gluten-free, it contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, no artificial anything, and it still tastes good. It's also going to support better sleep quality and recovery, better mental clarity and alertness. 
and it costs you less than $3 a day. Think of it as like your all-in-one nutritional insurance. Athletic Greens has more than 7,000 five-star reviews, so you don't have to take our word for it. This is good stuff. And right now, Eric and I think it's time you reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you got to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And Eric, even when you're making towns, you, you, you're taking AG1 everywhere you go, right? I, absolutely everywhere. I was just recently in, uh, I, I went to visit Raj Giri in Denver and was going to be there for just overnight, you know, a, a night in a, in a full day. But I knew I, you know, I was going to be meeting with some people uh, early in the morning and I wanted to be at the top of my game. So went to bed early, woke up, pounded my athletic greens because it comes in a nice little travel pack. He's, look, it's, I, I, I try to keep things simple for me because I'm a pretty simple person. Um, people don't realize how important gut health is. Think of your gut, your digestive system as a carburetor. What does a carburetor do in the car? It manages the, manages the fuel or the mixture of fuel, gasoline, and air to reach the optimal um, energy that your spark plugs can burn, right? Your gut does the same thing. It manages all the things that you eat and digest them in a way to get maximum energy and benefit and nutrition from, from whatever it is you eat. But in order to do that, you have to have the right ingredients. You have to have the right things in your gut, the probiotics and the adaptogens. That's why those things are important because it enables your, your, your gut to process the food and get it to the different parts of your body that needs it, including your brain, by the way, testify. Um, that's why I love AG1. If I need to be on the top of my game mentally, physically, I don't start a day without AG1. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash 83 weeks. Let's keep it going here and talk about what's next for Buff. Um, now that he's working these these singles matches with Rick Rude for the big belt, it's worth mentioning that he's been in the company around three years. He's had a handful of tag team partners. He's had success as a tag team wrestler with Two Cold Scorpio. And it seems like he's been wrestling sort of lower to mid-card guys, and then bam, he's immediately with Rick Rude. Would that have been something Rude would have maybe had input for and asked about himself? I, possibly, um, but I think it was more likely suggested to Rick Rude, and Rick Rick would have had to feel pretty good about that, or he wouldn't have yeah. done it. You know, Rick 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 Rude was not shy about letting. He wasn't the type of guy that would show up and just do whatever he was told and not ask any questions. <laughs> that wasn't Rick. So I think the fact that Rick probably saw the same thing in Marcus Bagwell that Dusty did, for example, he saw potential in him. He knew he could have great matches with him. He knew he had momentum. He, meaning Marcus, had momentum behind him. That probably had a, a lot to do with why Rick Rude not only probably, and I can't speak for Rick, but um, not only felt comfortable, but was pretty excited 
Well, we were excited to see what was next. Unfortunately, it's not going to continue this singles run. We're going to try another tag team partner. This time, we're going to be a part of a team called Stars and Stripes with the uh, the new star in town. The Patriot, Dale Wilkes, joins WCW. And uh, he had success with the Patriot gimmick in Global before his run in WCW and, well, WWF years later. But Stars and Stripes quickly move into the tag title picture. They're going to feud with the then champions, pretty wonderful, Paul Roma and Paul Orndorff. And the two teams feud for the summer into the early fall. Stars and Stripes finally win the tag titles on main event on September 25th. But much like uh, the the tag run he had with Scorpio, it's not for long. They're going to drop the belts uh, back at Halloween Havoc 94. Boy, it's like a, it's a pattern with Bagwell, man. If you need him to drop the straps, just do it at Halloween Havoc. <laughs> what do you think of this presentation stars and stripes? Maybe it's a little cheesy by 2023 standards, but at the time this felt like what you did in wrestling, man, you got a Patriot and, uh, he's got the, the, the American, uh, symbolism with him and, and the young, handsome baby face. This is as white meat baby face as we can get. Is it not? It is, but now, you know, you think about it and I certainly didn't think about it at the time, but now, you know, 30 some odd years later, 29 years later, whatever it is, you know, you look at it, Marcus had already kind of been established as that I know, said white meat, pretty boy, baby face. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where psychology comes in. You know, oftentimes, especially guys in the ring talk about psychology and it, it, you, psychology means different things in different contexts. But when I look at the psychology of a, of a wrestling audience, because, because I think, and again, a lot of this is stuff that I've learned well after the fact. I didn't know it then. I wish I would have. But the audience has its own psychology, right? And you have to understand that to be a great performer in the ring. And, and the greatest ones certainly did, whether it be Ric Flair or Hulk Hogan or The Rock or anybody else. They could anticipate how an audience is going to react. That's that's the art. Otherwise, you're just going out there and doing perfunctory moves and whatever it's an exhibition at that point but in order to create emotion and therefore a story you have to anticipate how an audience is going to react and i think a guy like marcus bagwell being pushed as a baby face is kind of a mistake because scott hall said it best man guys want to be you and women want to bang you and I think the male audience, the male demo in WCW didn't necessarily want to be like Mark Bagwell. He was too pretty and he knew it, right? Mm. You always knew that Rick, excuse me, that Mark Bagwell had a buff, had a pretty high opinion of buff. And that rubs that male demo the wrong way, consciously or subconsciously. He was just too pretty to be a baby face. And putting putting Buff in that Patriot gimmick, people will, were still seeing the pretty boy. So he brought some of that resistance with the with the male demo with him in what would otherwise been a pure babyface team. Now, what I liked about the team of Del Wilkes and Mark, and again, I I knew Del Wilkes all the way back in the AWA. Uh, cause they'll work for Vern for, for quite a while when I first got there. 
Um, Dell was a big guy. You know, I don't know what his, he had to be 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, he was a solid and jacked up 260, 270. So he brought the muscle. Bagwell brought the sizzle. In other words, Dell brought the meat. Bagwell brought the sizzle. And that, that combination, I think, was a great combination. But I think Bagwell also brought a little bit of subliminal heat with him in that in that regard, which is probably why it didn't take off quite as much as it could have or should have. They have one more tag title run. They win it at uh, Clash of the Champions 29, but drop it on Saturday night on December 8th. And uh, by early 95, the Patriot is gone from WCW. And much like with Scorpio, he finds himself back in singles competition. Throughout 95, he has, uh, he being buff pronouns, pal, had a series of uh, different tag team partners, including Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Johnny B. Bad and Alex Wright. But he finally teams up with Scotty Riggs to form the American Males on the August 21st episode of WCW Saturday Night. Uh, they're going to pick up a win over Lieutenant James Earl Wright and Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. What can you tell us about Scotty Riggs coming in and what do you think of the American Males presentation? I love their entrance music. It was pretty good. I mean, you go back and listen to that. That was a Jimmy Hart classic. You want to sing a song? American Males. I mean, this is, you know, what I liked about that pairing. Well, let me first answer what I thought about Scotty Riggs. I, you know, I never really got to know Scotty. Scotty was very quiet backstage. He was very unassuming very quiet. You know, my interactions with him were very professional, but extremely limited. We didn't engage in a much of a, a, a bunch of extracurricular discussion or activity when it came to what we were doing at TV. It was very cut and dry, but he was very quiet, talented, great, great performance in the ring. Great look to him. Perfect pairing. I think with, with Marcus in some respects, I think Riggs felt very comfortable in that, what I would call a semi heel role. Um, just by virtue of the fact that they were acknowledging themselves as kind of like the hierarchy of a, a male tag team during that period of time, because they had the look, you know, this again, semi heel, right. But it fit. It was a, it was a good fit. I think they both felt very comfortable in it. And they, they had that great Jimmy Hart entrance music. I mean, it is a good song. Yeah, it's become a sort of a cult classic, and you got to think their inspiration is maybe those early '90s boy bands. I don't know, Color Me Bad or Right Said Fred or whatever. Yeah, I mean, look at Three Count. That was another Jimmy Hart creative thing, and Three Count I thought was really entertaining. Jimmy worked, the, you know, created that because I literally handed Jimmy the responsibility to book the WCW Saturday night show once nitro took off and really started rolling. But you look at some of Jimmy Hart's influence, you know, three count and a lot of those guys went on to become very successful. That was a Jimmy Hart thing. But again, it was that boy band vibe, right? Cause that's you know, Jimmy's, you know, he's been in the music business almost all of his adult life and kind of had his finger on what was hot at that time. It wouldn't be hot now, but at that time it was. Well, what's going to be hot here in 95 is the debut of Nitro. And uh, on September 18th, 1995, the third episode of Nitro, the American males win the tag titles, beating Harlem Heat. Uh, They're going to drop it back on October 11th on Saturday night. But still, at this point, Bagwell has had the tag straps with three different partners, two Cold Scorpio, the Patriot, and now Scotty Riggs. Uh, Both Riggs and Bagwell will compete in the World War III match to – 
crown a new vacant heavyweight champion. Of course, that will ultimately be won by Randy Savage. And then they're going to chase the Harlem Heat for the tag straps in the 1996 without any success. And for most of 96, they're losing lower to mid-card matches to big-time names like the Steiners and Lex Luger and Sting and Arn Anderson and Ric Flair. He does get a couple of uh, pay-per-view singles matches during that time. He had a match against DDP, Great American Bash, in June of 96. And he was a part of World War III in November, which was won by the Giant. But as the NWO starts to build, it feels as if there's an opportunity. We start to see some trouble brewing between the American males that comes to a head in November of 96. On November 18th, on that episode of Nitro, they lose to the amazing French Canadians. And this is when we start to see maybe some uh, some problems. This is also the same episode where Eric Bischoff has an altercation with Roddy Piper, and it's revealed that you, in fact, are a member of the NWO. And the next week, you give an ultimatum to the WCW locker room, saying they have 30 days to join the NWO or suffer the consequences. And Bagwell comes down the ramp to join, but Riggs follows, trying to talk him out of it. Bagwell turns heel on him, and now he is the newest member of the NWO. And you and I have talked about this before. I mean, certainly, if you take a look at the tag team success Bagwell had, he's a proven tag team great wrestler here. And I don't know why that's never discussed, but how many guys had tag title runs with three different partners? I don't know the answer, but it can't be a lot. Um, Buff Bagwell is among those guys. But really... This American males thing, it's not taken off. The NWO is here. It feels by that standard, that new standard, maybe a little hokey, maybe a little dated. And we know that Buff is going to go on to become a huge name as this Buff daddy character. But in hindsight, do you think Buff would have been better served if the roles were reversed? Scotty Riggs joins the NWO. Buff Bagwell represents the face of WCW and becomes a baby face. No question about it. I, I think putting Riggs into the NWO and because of the backstory with Bagwell and his relationship with Lex Luger and Sting and the Steiner brothers who were who at that point in time were definitively WCW guys, right? Much like Ric Flair. Would have been smarter. Really would have been. Putting Bagwell in the NWO checked a couple boxes, but absolutely you're right. And there, there could have been some great story there between Riggs and the NWO and Buffwell as a WCW flag waving, you know, cheerleader for the, for the WCW brand. It would have been a much better choice. No question about it. When you think about the different members of the NWO, if you sort of go in order, Scott Hall, former WWF guy, Kevin Nash, former WWF guy, Hulk Hogan, former WWF guy, Ted DiBiase, who we knew was the million dollar man, former WWF guy. And the first deviation is the giant. Then we would see NWO sting and six and Vincent and miss Elizabeth. And there's lots of other names that had that WWF background. Big shows, really the first one or the giants, really the first one that didn't, of course, Bagwell doesn't either when I've seen people be critical of this storyline and you would always argue, no, it wasn't about them coming from the WWF. It was that they had been here before, but for fans like myself who thought, okay, these are just former WWF guys in hindsight. Would you have added the giant 
should he too have stayed on the WCW side of things? Yeah, Giant was a bad choice. That was a bad choice because we the NWO didn't need the muscle because they didn't right. rely on it. They relied on cheating, lying, stealing, and cheating. Eddie Guerrero. Yes. Um, that was that was their mo, and they had Kevin Nash. If they needed muscle, if they were in a storyline where you needed that power player, Nash was your guy. Giant was awkward, not because of his size, just because of his inexperience. He was awkward at best. He still hadn't really found his character yet. Um, it, 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 yes, it was misplaced, and he also would have been a much bigger obstacle for WCW and for the NWO, so that struggle could have been played out differently. Yeah, there, you, you could probably make a list of the, <laughs> the mistakes that were made that I made in terms of the NWO roster. And I'm not even going to go into talking about why again for the hundredth time, but it was a mistake, pure and simple, regardless of the motivation, the intent or whatever the situation was, it was bad casting. NWO worked and became the phenomenon. Actually it still is, but initially because of the casting, what it represented with Hulk Hogan, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and then to continue to cast that entity with people that didn't bring that same vibe. That was a mistake. Now I will say if someone were to ask me, but then why did you do it? The mistake I made was thinking that NWO needed that. I don't want to say comedic, but Buff was that guy, and, he, and this is who he was, you know, whether he would want to hear this or not. But, you know, backstage, he was that guy that, you know, you kind of like being around him, but every once in a while you want to smack him because of his smart-ass sense of humor, right? And it was, and I thought, man, if we had that comedic level within the NWO group that you could rely upon once in a while, it would be a good idea. It was, it, it was a good idea. It just wasn't the best idea. Did you ever watch American pie? Remember those movies? No. Well, there was a character in there named Stifler. I think you should go check him out. I think the buff character, uh, has a lot in common with the Stifler character. Just the guy who could maybe get under your skin just a little bit. Yeah. Um, let's talk about, you know, the positioning of, of why I sort of theorized on an older show that perhaps buff should have represented sort of the face of WCW had been on that sting side of things, as opposed to the NWO, because we all understand buff is going to become a phenomenal heel. And if, if we had to guess, we would think he's probably a better heel than a baby face. I would imagine. Would you agree with that? You Absolutely. For the reasons I just mentioned a few, I mean, just, he walks to the ring and he's subconsciously, he's a heel. The minute he comes through the curtain, whether he wants to be or not to a certain segment of the audience. So with that said, you know, obviously that makes the fit for the NWO seem to make sense, but I do think if he was, you know, one of the, uh, sort of torchbearers for WCW and then later he turned, it could have been an even bigger deal, but funny, what we saw happen was a real transition from Marcus Alexander Bagwell, the white meat baby face that we had first met way back in 1991. And now he's going to become buff. And it was almost like a transformation. Speaking of transformation, uh, there's no quick fix for anxiety and depression. 
It's not finding a new therapist or starting an exercise routine. It's not more and regular medication or a better diet. If you haven't figured it out yet, life healing and becoming a better version of yourself is a process. It doesn't stop. You don't magically arrive, but sometimes you need something to unlock your brain, a new way of thinking about and seeing the world. And maybe the thing is a guided ketamine therapy from mind bloom. In fact, Dan, a sales engineer and real mind bloom customer and believer says mind bloom has helped me take back control of my life. I feel free and you too can feel that freedom. Mind bloom is the leader in at home ketamine therapy for people looking for a new way to treat their anxiety and depression. They combine science-backed medicine with a guided treatment plan that's both affordable and fast-acting. To begin, take MindBloom's online assessment and schedule a video consult with a licensed physician clinical or clinician. Easy for me to say. If approved, you'll work with MindBloom on your specific treatment plan, and you'll be mailed a customized kit complete with medicine, a journal, and treatment materials. After only two sessions, 87% of MindBloom clients reported improvements in depression, and 85% reported improvements in anxiety. It's time to enter your next chapter in mental health and well-being and achieve transformational outcomes with MindBloom. Right now, MindBloom is offering our listeners $100 off your first six-session program when you sign up at mindbloom.com forward slash 83 weeks and use the promo code 83 weeks at checkout. Go to mindbloom.com forward slash 83 weeks. The promo code is 83 weeks for $100 off your first six session program today. That's mindbloom.com slash 83 weeks. And the promo code is 83 weeks. And Eric, I know you've tried mindbloom. I can't wait to hear what you thought. I, I found it to be very interesting, you know, and I think a lot and I, I work hard to kind of manage my attitude and how I deal with pressure that would normally, you know, even five years ago or 10 years ago created anxiety in me. But one of the things I've learned is for me personally, getting there in a more non-traditional way, which is what I would consider this opportunity with Mindbloom is a great opportunity. Not There is no one size fits all. And I think for people that have, dealt with anxiety or depression and perhaps have even tried more traditional therapies because everybody thinks in the medical community, Oh, it's just one size fits all. Take this pill, do this thing. Um, sometimes it doesn't work and you, you have to seek out alternative methods. And I, I, I wanted to try it because I wanted to experience something before we promoted it on the show. And I can say nothing but great things about it. You know, I, I may not have to deal with anxiety, although I do have issues on a day-to-day basis. We all do. We all face some, some, some form of challenge on a day-to-day basis. But for me, the experience was um, a much easier way to deal with things that otherwise would have maybe put me into a spin. Can't recommend it enough. Try it. Never stop exploring ways to improve yourself whether it's reading a book or overcoming a challenge like anxiety and depression through mind bloom, you have to constantly seek out the things that will work for you because what works for some people may not work for you. So give it a try wholeheartedly endorse it. Mindbloom.com forward slash 83 weeks. And don't forget to use our promo code 83 weeks. 
So listen, let's talk about how buff is going to be, uh, the new thing here as Marcus transforms his character. Um, he changes his appearance as well. He's going to change from the American male haircut and this clean cut look to maybe something a little more edgy. He's got the goatee and the short hair and the bull rope tattoo on his left bicep. And it's about this time in early 97, he starts calling himself buff Bagwell. Of course, he's, uh, really turning up the arrogance and the conceit and the cockiness who's sort of going over this character with him. Is this something you're working with him on? Is this Kevin Sullivan, someone else? You know, I, Kevin Sullivan, I would say the majority of it. I may have had a note here and there, but Kevin, you know, it's, I was thinking about this the other day because we cover so much about that period of time when nitro, when nitro was, you know, kick it on all cylinders. And I find myself often saying, I, 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 and sometimes the questions are presented to me is what were you thinking? What was, what was your idea? What was your input? There was no I for the most part. Once we started taking off after the NWO really started getting momentum, it really was a we, and of that, we Kevin Sullivan really had substantial impact on everything below the main event, below the NWO storyline, the A story as it was back then. Um, and Kevin still had a lot of influence. I, I, I was just more involved in the A story than I was in the C stories and the D stories. But Kevin Sullivan, a lot of the great things and some of the bad ones, Dungeon of Doom, um, like all of us have had great ideas and some of them weren't so great, including me. Um, Kevin Sullivan had much more involvement in that creative process. And sometimes I acknowledge in the course of doing the show. So I want to correct that here. Uh, Kevin Sullivan had a lot to do with Buff's character development and evolution into the NWO. Well, let's talk about something else. That's going to be an opportunity for Buff that we've never talked about on this program. And I can't believe we've never discussed it, but Buff did a movie the day of the warrior. Meltzer would say that it made Hulk Hogan's movies look like masterpiece theater. Bagwell played a character known as the Supreme warrior where they have him, uh, in a loincloth and face paint. And Meltzer would say it builds to a 32nd final fight scene against a penthouse playmate who he headbutts in the breasts and gets knocked out by and pinned. <laughs> uh, I have to admit, I was such a wrestling fan here in this era that I sought this movie out and I thought, man, if, if, if Bagwell's in it, I got to see it. And I realized I'll never get this time back. Um, <laughs> listen, it doesn't always work out. Did you ever remember sitting down and watching the day of the warrior? And if not, can we do that as a bonus on ad free show? No, we have to. Now let me tell you just a little story about that. I think that opportunity came to buff through a third party, an agent or somebody that he knew buff told me about it and wanted to get my support. So I actually went out to LA and met with the director and his wife, who I think was the writer. I'm dying to remember their names. I'm sure it's going to be in the credits. Hopefully somebody that's listening live over at adfreeshows.com can do a little research and find it for me. Because if you say his name, I'll remember it. But I actually went to their house to sit down with them and learn about, number one, I want to know how much time it was going to take 
off a of Bagwell's schedule because that was a- Andy primary. Sedaris. Is that it? And that's it. Andy Sedaris. Yeah. And uh, I was concerned about how much time this was going to take. And I wanted to talk to the director who I think was also the producer and try to get a feel for that before I signed off on it. And, you know, the Sedaris has lived in a beautiful home, beautiful home. I think it was in the Hollywood Hills. So they had obviously been very successful in, at least for a period of time in the movie industry. And I went in there and, and talked to the Sedaris's. I didn't get into the creative too much. I was just looking again, where who's producing the movie. What's the budget for the movie? Uh, when's the movie coming out? How much time is it going to take off Bagwell's schedule? What do I, what am I going to have to work around? That's the reason that I wanted to have a real conversation before I could sign off. So I was kind of impressed with the meeting and the people involved in the meeting, Andy Sedaris and his wife, obviously, like I said, they lived in a kind of a Tony neighborhood, not as in Shivani, but as in, you know, you know what I mean? Uh, and then I saw the movie. <laughs> Yeah, we got to do a watch along. That's a fun one. Anytime you watch somebody get knocked out by a set of jugs, bam, got to watch it. And listen, here's the thing. Sedaris did another one too. Uh, the return to Savage Beach. And once again, he pulls Bagwell in. That one comes out a couple of years later. Uh, so yeah, this Sedaris relationship worked out for Bagwell, got a few paydays and got some new experiences and got some cool stories. Can't believe this is real, but Woo Wings, your very own virtual restaurant concept is now open and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with their Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio. Jacksonville, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa, right here in Alabama. Many more locations coming soon. As a virtual restaurant, Woo Wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major metro areas. Tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant you want Woo Wings in your town. And to visit RickFlairWings.com for more information on how to become a partner. But if you're in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Huntsville, or Tuscaloosa, hop on your Uber Eats or Postmates app and look for Woo Wings and try the only chicken wings worthy hearing the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion, Woo Wings. Be sure to check out RickFlairWings.com to become a partner. Uh, Bagwell's going to defeat Scotty Riggs at Sold Out 97, again at Uncensored 97, working with him a lot during the house shows, and it never really feels like we got the, a proper payoff for this feud. Uh, and it looks like Buff might be getting primed for a singles push here. And then we see him form another tag team, this time with Scott Norton. We're going to call this one Vicious and Delicious. What do you like about the Buff Bagwell-Scott Norton pairing? The contrast. You know, I love contrast. You know, when I go out to eat, I, you know, if I'm going to have something that's a heavy, maybe uh, what's the word that they use all the time? Uh, there's a certain word for it, rich flavored, you know, food, heavy food. I need something light and the opposite of that, right. To enjoy it. So I love contrast in everything. And I think with a tag team, when you have the right contrast, it just makes it more fun to watch. I could not think of anybody more opposite of buff Bagwell than Scott Norton. Scott Norton was just, you know, he was a bricklayer. You know, not in real life, but I mean, he was that everyday blue collar guy that just happened to be one of the most powerful people on the, on the planet, but he had this deep 
voice. You know, and he was bigger. I mean, he was he was bigger around than he was tall, and he was a lot taller than me. You know, and, and he was such a straightforward, almost non-character that putting him in the ring with Buff, who was an over-the-top, almost, uh, he was so vain and over-the-top that that contrast, I thought, was just entertaining. And, and I, I, I liked it. I liked it. I wish it could have gone further. A lot of it had to do with timing. And they didn't get the push as a tag team that some of the people in the A stories or even the B stories got. You know, that, that tag team combination was meant to be middle of, the, middle of the show, maybe after the crossover segment at 9 o'clock, following the cruiserweights, but before the A story or main event. It was never designed to be a big moneymaker. It was designed to help get us to the next part of the show in an entertaining fashion. And I love that contrast. That tag team even gets to uh, test their medal for New Japan Pro Wrestling in February here as part of the NWO Japan. But through most of the year, I would say, can't believe this is real, but Woo Wings, your very own virtual restaurant concept, is now open and fans can enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings ordering with their Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa, right here in Alabama. Many more locations coming soon. As a virtual restaurant, Woo Wings is looking to partner with existing restaurants in major metro areas. Tell your favorite sports bar or local restaurant you want Woo Wings in your town. And to visit RickFlairWings.com for more information on how to become a partner. But if you're in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Huntsville, or Tuscaloosa, hop on your Uber Eats or Postmates app and look for Woo Wings and try the only chicken wings worthy hearing the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion, Woo Wings. Be sure to check out RickFlairWings.com to become a partner. From July forward on into 1998, Vicious and Delicious are going to be working with the Steiner brothers. Uh, this is as WCW as it gets, man. Bagwell and the Steiners. Most of the time, of course, Bagwell is teaming with Norton through all of these. Occasionally, he's going to team with Conan. And there's even a Nitro where he's teaming with Kevin Nash. And along the way, Buff takes a break from his feud with the Steiners to team with Nash, Conan, and Six to defeat the Four Horsemen at the war games match, uh, fall brawl. We haven't talked about another WCW stalwart. Let's ask your opinion. What was the relationship like with sting and Bagwell and flair and Bagwell, sort of the two staples of WCW Sting and Bagwell were very close personally out, outside of WCW, you know, sting Bagwell, Lux Luger at the time, they were kind of like the three musketeers. Once they left the, uh, the arena, or the office, so to speak. Um, so the relationship was very good. It was a very, they were, they were supporting each other and propping each other up in every way and, and having fun together. You know, it was obvious when you saw Sting and Buff and Luger together, that was a great combination of, of talent there that worked in the ring and, and outside of the ring. Let's also mention that Buff is about to get his biggest win of his career. He pins Lex Luger at Starcade 1997. He's mostly been a tag team character. We're now at the biggest show of the year, the biggest show in WCW history, Starcade 97, and Buff gets a win over Lex Luger. 
Now, Meltzer is critical of it. They get plenty of time. Maybe you could argue two months time, 16 minutes and 36 seconds. Meltzer would say this feud is elevating Bagwell's career as he continually takes credit for beating Luger on flukes, but it also shows Bagwell's limitations as a worker as he can't even come close to carrying Luger to a decent match. Way too long and boring. So let's just take a timeout right there. You mentioned before how close Lex was with Buff. It totally makes sense to me that Lex would have happily been looking forward to the opportunity to put over his friend Buff. This is a big moment for him, but Meltzer's pretty critical of his in-ring work. Did you ever think Buff's in-ring work was less than, or is this just Meltzer being Meltzer? Look, Jay Meltzer and everybody knows how I feel about him and what he really is, but he's entitled to his opinion. You know, we all have certain tastes that are very subjective. What, what I find to be really a good match is going to be different perhaps than what you think, Conrad, is a great match. So we all have, you know, it's just like food. Man. Some people yeah. love asparagus, some people hate it, whatever. Um, I, I didn't look at matches the same way Dave did and does, so I didn't agree with him. I always looked at how did the crowd react? How much runway do we have with great story as a result of a match? Where can it go? Did it serve a purpose? And then I look at the aesthetic part of it, right? So Dave was far more critical of it than I was. But like I said, that's his opinion. I don't begrudge anybody, including Dave Meltzer, for having an opinion. It's when it your opinion crosses over and trying to convince people that it's a fact. It's just an opinion. He's welcome to it. After the Steiners break up at Super Brawl in February of 98, Buff is going to wrestle Rick at a few house shows and then continues the feud and tag matches. Buff is going to team with Scott in a losing effort against Rick Steiner and Lex Luger at Spring Stampede 98. Then he reunites with Scott Norton to defeat Rick and Luger on an April 22nd episode of Thunder after Scott hits Rick with a chair. But that's not the big story. Right before Scott interferes, Rick comes off the second rope with a bulldog on Buff, but Buff's head gets loose and rather than being driven into the mat, smashes into Rick's back as Rick hits the mat. And Buff has several vertebrae damaged here and develops spinal shock. It's a scary moment that shut down the live program. I remember watching this. I remember exactly where I was. I, uh, I thought we were seeing something very serious. It was clear. This was not part of the show. You were there. What was going through your mind as you see this happening on live TV? Go back and watch what happened with DeMar Hamlin a few weeks ago. Yeah. That was essentially the vibe in WCW backstage at that point. Uh, we didn't know it looked horrible. In Hamlin's case, it was horrible. He actually died on the field and, he was brought back, I guess. Um, but with with Buff, we weren't in fear of his life, but we were afraid he was paralyzed from the neck down because that was he was <laughs> in, in, in that in that particular moment that you're describing. He was. We didn't know if he ever if he'd ever be able to walk again, or even wheel himself around in a wheelchair again. It was very scary. Very. It was, um, I don't know, man. I, I remember all of my friends talking about it the next day at high school. Like 
you know, we we had never seen anything like this in wrestling before, or I hadn't. The Observer I had this. I, I hadn't either. It was a first for me. After being transferred to a hospital in Atlanta the next day, he underwent lengthy neck and spinal surgery on April 27th to fuse the C3 and C4 vertebrae together and also the C5 and C6 vertebrae together. He had some serious complications later that evening coming out of surgery with his esophagus, which led to his blood pressure dropping drastically and him being in danger of going into a life-threatening coma. At press time the next day, Bagwell was listed in stable condition. The doctor prognosis was that given his age, 28, and his level of physical conditioning, the odds are that he'll make a nearly full recovery and would be able to return to the ring, although the timetable is expected to be six months before he can return to training and one year before he can actually return to the ring. Bagwell was also told that the injury was three centimeters away from being a duplicate of the injury suffered by Christopher Reeve, which would have rendered him paralyzed for life and that his strong musculature helped save him. However, the muscles probably worked against him in the surgery because the surgeons would have had to cut through far more muscle than the average person in order to address those neck problems. That, in hindsight, is what I think everybody was thinking. We didn't touch on it just yet, but the Christopher Reeve incident, and maybe you don't remember that name, but this is a guy who played Superman in the movies and through a, a horse accident had become paralyzed. The idea that we had our former Superman now in a wheelchair was unfathomable to think about. And that was at the top of, I think everyone's mind when they saw what was happening to Bagwell here, boy, I hope this isn't another Christopher Reeve situation. Yeah. I don't even, I can only speak for myself. I don't know what other people are thinking for me. I, I never even got that far. I was so focused on what I saw in front of me and what I thought was a permanent situation that I didn't compare it to anything else or hope it wasn't something else. I only saw what I saw. And, uh, you know, it, I, I went to see Bagwell the next day or maybe two days afterwards in the hospital and, and Bagwell's, you know, spirits were up then and, and kind of sense that he was out of the woods in terms of permanent injury and paralysis, but it was still scary. You know, there was still the unknown. He had a long ways to go before he was out of the woods. The other thing we got to address is how tough it must have been to carry on the broadcast. You know, on the one hand, you're doing all you can from a professional medical standpoint to take care of Buff. On the other hand, you don't necessarily want to exploit it, but you had a show that was formatted that did not involve, all right, we're going to just stop everything and we can't do anything in the ring for a while. So you're having to really sort of freestyle. And Meltzer would say at this point, Tony Schiavone basically took over the broadcast and it was a very unique situation as you had paid wrestling shields put in a strange position of a legitimate potential tragedy going on right before their eyes. While at the same time being in the position of arguably not wanting to waste valuable television time without hyping the major storyline in the company involving Hulk Hogan. What made the situation doubly unique is two of the three announcers in the booth at the time, Shivani and Heenan, have both undergone serious neck surgeries in recent years. So that's an unwinnable, really tough spot for someone like Tony Shivani here. Because this is not part of the program. 
and, and we're, we've got to try to walk the line of real life and wrestling fiction. That's a tough job for Tony here, is it not? Tough for Tony, even tougher for Bobby. Yeah. Bobby, Bobby was very, he was hypersensitive. And, you know, he had a right to be, right? He'd gone through it. He knew it. But he was also pretty fragile, and oftentimes I'd put him outside of the ring, and there was, you know, a lot of extracurricular activity. And we've seen, you know, scenes that we've discussed before in 83 weeks where Bobby reacted in a very real way to even the potential of something happening that would further injure an already injured neck with Bobby Heenan. And, and Tony is a, Tony's a great human being. Tony Schiavone is a great human being. Tony has a heart. Tony has a high degree of empathy. And to have to sit and the show must go on, it, it, I'm sure it was hard for Tony, but I think it was even harder for Bobby because it was just so much more personal. You know, Tony's had his own issues. You know, you, you hang around Tony to the say, you know, if you're over to a side of Tony, you say, hey, Tony, he doesn't turn his head. He turns his body. And there's a reason for that. So Tony also was, was firsthand knowledge, right? Tough situation, no doubt about it, especially when there's a lot of things you don't know. Meltzer was really complimentary and said that he didn't think that Shivani and Heenan could have done a better job, but we're trying to just do what we can. And he sort of freestyles that maybe you were concerned about sharing too much of the real life potential danger or injury. Was there some sort of an edict or discussion made by you or passed on to anyone about what to share or not to share during that process? No, it's just that we didn't know, you know, I'm Dave is very inclined to share and discuss and print as fact what he doesn't know. That's the nature of what Dave has made a career of. I wasn't so inclined to come out and disclose a lot of information that I didn't have. Right. No, you know, I, no, I think it would have been inappropriate to be honest. And you also have to consider what does the talent want? Right. You know, I couldn't have a conversation with about Marcus and Hey, Marcus, do you mind if we just tell the world what just happened to you and what the prognosis may or may not be, even though you don't know, I know you're on a stretcher and you're taking it out to the ambulance, but how about we stop and have a little chat so we can figure out how best to present this to the audience. I couldn't do that. And without having a little bit of input from the talent, I would not be inclined to share information, even if I was comfortable with it or knew it without first talking to the talent, because now you're talking about their lives and the rest of their lives. This is not a storyline. It's not just a wrestling thing. This is potentially someone who may never be able to brush his own teeth again. Do we want to share that with the audience? No, I wouldn't. Dave would. (laughs) Dave would, but I wouldn't. We don't see Buff back on TV until the July 6th episode of Nitro. Yes, it's that Georgia Dome Nitro where Goldberg is going to beat Hulk Hogan. But Buff has a big part of this. He's pushed to the entryway uh, in a wheelchair by his mother, Judy, for an interview with Mean Gene Okerlund, who's actually going to refer to Bagwell as Mark. And Mean Gene is going to reiterate the severity of the spinal fracture of the C7 and C4 and point out that Bagwell almost died in intensive care multiple times 
And this allows Bagwell to cut a big time baby face promo in front of his home crowd, thanking them for their support, praising his mother. This is something we've had a lot of fun with over the years, talking about Judy Bagwell's involvement in wrestling, but seeing her here pushing Bagwell to the ring or to the entrance ramp, this was a cool moment for WCW TV. Was it not? It was a real moment. Yes. And that's sometimes that's when wrestling is at its best is when it finds that perfect harmony between character and story and reality. And this was an extreme version of that, obviously, and, and one that clearly wasn't planned, but I think being able to embrace it and bring it forward in an honest, real way um, was the right thing to do. Let's also mention that the next week, uh, Buff is uh, once again pushed to the ring in a wheelchair. This time it's by his doctor uh, for another interview with Mean Gene. And the NWO is split into two groups at this point. It's black and white versus red and black. And Gene's going to ask Buff, where does he align? Is he with the black and white or the, the, the red and black? And instead of answering directly, he calls out Rick Steiner, trying to confront him over the neck injury. And that brings Hollywood Hogan out, who comes out mocking Bagwell's injury, pushing his wheelchair over. The crowd starts chanting, Hogan sucks, Hogan sucks. And Meltzer's pretty critical of this. He says, it was right at this moment when I realized WCW is going to lose Mondays consistently. If there was any message last week, it should have shown that the face of WCW was no longer Hogan and it was Goldberg. Instead, we get a pay-per-view show ruined by Hogan and a TV show designed as nothing but a personal vehicle once again for Hogan. Like when Bagwell can return, he's going to feud with Hulk Hogan. They could have allowed Raven or Jericho or even Hart or anyone else the heel heat of doing the angle with Bagwell that Bagwell could do a hot program with when he returns. But instead, it's another of these WCW injury angles that never pays off. So let's take a timeout right there, because I know you're not necessarily exchanging Christmas cards with Dave Meltzer, but I do think this is a fair criticism that Bagwell has all the sympathy in the world now, and it does feel as if this could set up a major pay-per-view angle, but instead it's Hulk Hogan, and there's not going to be a payoff in that regard. And you could make the argument on the other side that, Hey, if Hulk Hogan is doing something in your segment, when is that a bad thing? He's the biggest star in the company and arguably in the history of wrestling. What say you, if you had this to do over again, would you have set Bagwell down the course of a hot feud that you could pay off with a pay-per-view and not gone with the Hogan bit? Mm, Again, you know, subjective it's tomato, tomato, in a way, for the reason you pointed out, um, I wasn't inclined to make a story off off the injury. I don't know mm-hmm. why I, d- I didn't feel good about it, but I just didn't feel good about it. But it might have made more sense. I'm not gonna look. I'm not gonna beat up on the useful idiot just for the sake of beating up on him. But I do dig how everybody's hashtagging Dave Meltzer, useful idiot, on social media. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a personal, just a bizarre amount of personal joy for that. But look, his opinion is his opinion. And, and Dave Meltzer, while he's never booked a wrestling television show in his life, therefore doesn't understand sometimes the complexities of it, um, has an opinion. It might have been a better choice. We'll never know. I just wasn't inclined to do it. I'm, I, 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 doubt that, I, I doubt that Bagwell, if we... Um, get around to asking him later on in the show 
want to remind people that that interview is coming up. Yes. Um, I don't know that Bagwell would have felt that bad about it. He's getting a pretty good rub. Well, the next week, Mean Gene's going to bring out Rick Steiner to talk about what happened the prior week. Once again, Buff is wheeled out. Buff is going to forgive Rick, and Rick helps Buff stand up from the wheelchair. And right then, Scott Steiner attacks Rick with a chair. Bagwell stops Scott from hitting Rick again. Then he grabs the chair to start attacking Rick. Buff rips off the shirt and reveals an NWO shirt underneath. He's still with the black and white. Let's fast forward to uh, Nitro in October. Scott Steiner and Buff Bagwell come to the ring. Rick Steiner comes out and said, Buff's mom, Judy Bagwell, doesn't like that Buff is making a joke about his neck injury. And Judy walks out. And Judy cuts an awesome promo on Buff. Meltzer would say, great intensity and facial expressions. Buff returned fire by saying without him, she and his dad wouldn't eat. He said he supports the whole family. Judy says she hasn't slapped Buff since he was seven years old and slaps him here. And he then gets in Scott's face and Scott uh, grabs her arm and tells her, you ain't my mother, so get out of my face. And Rick jumps Scott. Judy's dragging Buff away by the year. It's kind of a fun segment. Maybe it's a little too long, but Judy is doing a good job here as a television character. Who knew? Too good a job. (laughs) She became a star. (laughs) <laughs> that's but you know it's easy to do a great job when you're not a professional you've never been on camera before but a lot of judy's reaction was probably real she didn't have to you know imagine what it would be like to be confronted with some of the things that mark was saying because she grew up with him she probably hadn't slapped him since she was seven but probably did at some point and buff certainly had it coming so it, it was a natural. It's one of the beautiful things about using real life moments in a storyline is because you don't have to be a great actor to do it. It starts to come off the rails a little bit of Halloween Havoc 1998. Scott Steiner does an interview. He brings out the giant, challenges Rick to a tag team match, saying the NWO does what it wants and that the giant and him are going to defend the tag titles against Rick and Bagwell. J.J. Dillon comes out and okays this, which is odd. Uh, And the idea is if uh, Scott and Giant lose, Rick is going to get his singles match with Scott on this very card. So Rick Steiner and Bagwell then go on to beat Scott Steiner and the Giant to win the tag titles here. So that makes yet another tag team partner that he's won the tag straps with. And uh, this two-match series has a great storyline, but little in the way of wrestling, according to Meltzer. Giant is back to smoking cigarettes on his way to the ring. It's worth mentioning again. The Giant smoked cigarettes on his way to the ring. Bagwell's doing all the crotch chopping that you usually see on the other channel. When he tags in, to the surprise of nobody, he gives Rick Steiner a low blow and walks out. Giant comes down with a missile drop kick. That happened and Rick moves. So he hits Scott. Rick pins the giant after the bulldog off the top, which gets a huge pop. And then of course it's Steiner brother versus Steiner brother. Bagwell's in the middle of all of this, but I got to say, maybe this was less than it does feel like he had so much sympathy coming back off the injury. We could have built to something bigger. But listen, in this time, the the top of the cards in WCW are so crowded. Goldberg's the made man. 
you got Randy Savage, you got Hulk Hogan, you got Sting, you got Lex Luger, on and on and on. In hindsight, do you think we could have done something a little different with this neck injury angle? I know you were hesitant at the time, but with the benefit of hindsight now, was this the highest and best use? Nope. Nope. Not going to sugarcoat it. Not going to try to justify it. Nope. With hindsight. Now, you can figure anything out, figure a way to make something better in hindsight. But absolutely, that would have been a better storyline. That just there's, there's nothing I can say, but you're absolutely right. Uh, Bagwell is um, going to be out here in a, uh, a Bill Clinton mask. And eventually, when he unmasks, we reveal, oh, it's Buff Bagwell. Rick is going to come back, the guy who injured him, and drop him across the top rope, throw first. Meltzer would say nobody cared. They blew the million-dollar angle long ago. Rick puts the bulldog on the top of Scott. Nick Patrick runs in from the back, counts the pin. And after the match, Bagwell, who was wearing the Clinton mask before, is running around yelling, where's Monica? Creative here feels like it's a little off the rails, but this predates Russo. Is Kevin Sullivan dabbling in mind bloom at the time, or how do we get here? No, if, look, if it was an NWO story, I would have been involved in it. Um, I can't tell you who's the one person behind all of this schmaz, um, but I would have been involved. Sullivan would have been involved. Bagwell would have been involved. Um, there would have been a lot of input from the talent to people on a creative team. It's just a bad call. Well, let me tell you what's not a bad call. This new year, you've got goals. And Factor is here to help you achieve each and every one of them. Save time and have the energy you need to tackle everything on your to-do list with Factor's ready-to-eat meals that are delivered straight to your door. Get Factor and not only skip the trip to the grocery store, but skip the chopping, the prepping, and the cleaning up too. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you got to do is heat and enjoy. No matter what your lifestyle, Factor has the meals that help you live it to the fullest. Whether it's keto or calorie smart or vegan or veggie, plus all the protein plus meals that are on the menu each week, they're all prepared by chefs. They're approved by dietitians. And each meal has all the ingredients you need to feel satisfied all day long. I want to mention with 34 chef-prepared, dietitian-approved weekly options, there's always something new to try. Plus, you can round out your meal and replenish your snack supply. They've got an assortment of more than 36 quick bites, smoothies, juices, and all the other satisfying add-ons. Maybe you're looking to cut back on takeout, but why not get Factor instead? Not only is it cheaper, it's also faster that's right. You can get ready in just two minutes. By the way, eating vegan or veggie is a snap with Factor. Each meal is approved by chefs and dietitians, so you know that it has all the ingredients you want and nothing you don't want. So get Factor and enjoy clean eating without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered right to your door. Ready in just two minutes. There's really just no easier way to eat well. Achieve and maintain your goals this year with Factor. Get America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit and start saving time, eating well, and living your best year ever. Head to Factor75.com slash 83week60 
and use the code 83week60 to get 60% off your first box. That's code 83week60 at factor75.com slash 83week60 to get 60% off your first box. Eric, you've tried Factor. What do you think? I dig it to death. Look, one of the great things about a lot of our sponsors, advertisers here on 83 Weeks is that in, in aggregate, if you look at the list of people that sponsor the show, we not only live to enlighten here at 83 Weeks, our audience can become healthier in mind, body, and spirit. That's what it's all about. And realistically, though, Conrad, you know what it's like, man. You're jamming in the office. You don't have time to leave to go out to eat, get a healthy lunch. So what do you do? I know what you do because I do it with you. Chick-fil-A, yay, yeah. Grubhub or whatever, DoorDash, you know, fast food. And I love it. Don't get me wrong, but it's not good for you. It's just not. And, if you, again, if you're someone that wants to be in total control of the way you feel and the way you're able to think and perform, Eating healthy is just as important as anything else, maybe more important than anything else you do. And to be able to have healthy food in your office refrigerator that you could just heat up in a couple minutes um, and not spike your blood glucose levels because you're eating fast food that's full of garbage and additives and whatever they're, whatever they're full of, eating healthy food, fresh food, you're going to feel better throughout the day. And that's kind of what I'm all about, man. If I can... If I'm going to be up for 18 hours throughout the course of a day or 16 hours through the course of a day, I want to be functioning at the highest level I can mentally and physically. And Factor's the way to go. Check it out. Factor75.com forward slash 83 week 60. Don't forget that promo code 83 week 60. Uh, let's talk about what's next for Judy Bagwell. Rick's going to come out to defend the tag titles and Meltzer would say, I guess old poor Kenny chaos has been replaced as Rick's partner by Judy Bagwell. Buff tries to punch his mom. <laughs> That's he heat. And slaps him. Scott and Buff then run away, and Rick is going to challenge him to another title match on the pay-per-view. They accept, and then they leave. So let's just remind everybody, Buff's mom, Judy, here is a 55-year-old lady. She's coming to the ring in street clothes and wearing earrings, and she's been able to cut big promos and the fans are with her and it's getting a good response. But in hindsight, it feels like this should never work, but somehow it kind of did. It's the comedic, you know, element that buff was able to bring to his character. So one of the reasons why I thought that contrast with everybody else in NWO would be added value. It wasn't, as it turns out, it would have been better to do some things creatively and differently creatively, but you know, that comedic ability and the comfort, you know, a lot of guys aren't comfortable making fun of themselves or putting themselves in that, you know, that kind of, the kind of position that Bagwell had to put himself in creatively as a performer, backing down from your mom and being afraid of your mom and all that, letting your mom slap you around on national television. A lot of guys, if you try to pitch that to them and go, Oh brother, come on. And not doing that. Buff embraced it and had fun with it. And in the process of having fun with it, the audience had fun with it. And that's why it worked. And it, 
It was because of the comfort level that, that Bagwell had with it. Hey, guys, Tony Schiavone. Need to call a timeout real quick. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling what happened when listeners for a while now about all the cool things happening over on adfreeshows.com. On a brand new edition of Insiders, Gary Juster sits down with Conrad to discuss his decades spent behind the scenes in AWA, NWA, WCW, and ROH. I don't think it was a battle with Eric so much on uh, TV versus house shows. It was a matter of if they're not making money, we got to figure out, you know, something else. You know, we just can't let it bleed like that. We go one-on-one with WWE Hall of Famer Teddy Long as he joins Mike Chioda for a special edition of Monday Mailbag. And so I'm tired, man. I'm really tired, but I don't want to let Mike drive because I already know, <laughs> you know, I, I already know how he drives. So anyway, I just couldn't take it no further. So I said, Mike, you know, go in, you know, you know, take us in. So I got in, let Mike start driving. I guess, man, I went right to sleep about tired. So I guess maybe 10 minutes into that ride, all of a sudden I wake up, we're like in a tailspin. Royal Rumble season is here, and we watch back the most memorable rumble of all time, featuring the most iconic robe of all time, alongside the nature boy himself. Um, I mean, there was only one Olivia Walker. She was classic. And, um, but I, I just, out of nowhere, I just decided to... Um, to pick that color and black, you know, here's the deal. I, I, I've never had a great physique, and you know that black makes you look leaner. So black on black, black boots. So I went to, I went to black a lot after about forty, age of forty-one. <laughs> that very simple, honest answer. That's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself why ad-free shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adfreeshows.com. Well, unfortunately, the match with Judy never happens. She gets appendicitis. Uh, maybe it was a sign from above, but boy, what what fun she was on TV. When Buff finally returns to a wrestling ring, it's March 1st, 1999. It's an episode of Nitro. There's no real build, and he's going to team with Scott Steiner in a losing effort against Goldberg and Rick Steiner. After all this time... As we said before, maybe we could have done a little bit better of a job of the payoff after this injury angle, but through March and April and May, it looks like buff is finally going to start getting this big singles push. It picks up wins over really big names. Uh, guys like fit Finley, Vampiro, Ernest Miller, Bam Bam Bigelow, Kurt Henning, Bobby Eaton, even Randy Savage and a DQ win over television champ, Rick Steiner. And then he starts a feud with Ric Flair, who's acting as the WCW president and Roddy Piper, who's working as the vice president. We even see in June of 99, Buff have two matches with Flair and Piper on the same Nitro. The first is a handicap match against both, and the second is a tag match where he teams up with Dean Malenko in a losing effort. It leads to a boxing match between Buff and Piper at Bash at the Beach. This all happens in July with Mills Lane as the special referee. Of course, Mills Lane at the time is arguably the most famous boxing referee. And Piper doing boxing stuff feels like a Piper idea, but doing it with Buff Bagwell, man, that's some pretty cool rarefied air for a young Buff Bagwell, is it not? Especially a young Buff Bagwell who was a Golden Gloves boxing champion. Yes. Let's not forget that. Um, So, yeah, it was probably a a storyline come true for Buff. Judy's involved as well. She's going to bite Piper's ear because why not? It's a year (laughs) after the whole Mike Tyson thing. 
She's going to pour the spit water bucket over Piper's hair. Uh, she's even going to restrain Ric Flair when he tries to intervene. Just some wild stuff here. Buff is is working big programs here, you know, in the old Mr. T spot with Roddy Piper. And right after that, he's put back in a feud with Rick Steiner and gets fresh feuds with David Flair and Berlin, who we used to know as Alex Wright. And it's about this time in September of 99 where you're essentially relieved of your duties you come back to the company in April of 2000. The whole new blood angle emerges. Um, had you seen any change in Marcus Bagwell from 1991, or maybe even when you leave in 99 to when you come back in 2000, obviously he's growing up, he's maturing, et cetera, et cetera. But what are you saying in the evolution of buff Bagwell? I hate to say this, but I think under the circumstances and but I'm guessing we're going to hear from Bagwell coming up here before the end of this podcast. Um, I could see the effect of the extracurricular activities that Buff was involved in. Um, He was still the same cocky, self-assured character, but there was a, there was also a darkness about him. I can't describe it. Um, he wasn't negative necessarily or cynical, but he just had a different vibe. I didn't understand it at the time, or it's not that I didn't understand it. It's that I didn't perhaps acknowledge it at the time. I was just aware of it. He wasn't just, he wasn't as much fun to be around. That's the best way to say it. I used to, oh, even if I wasn't hanging out with him, just observing him, you know, interacting with other people, he was kind of, he was entertaining. Marcus was entertaining backstage. He liked to keep people laughing, you know, um, liked to laugh himself. That was not the guy I saw when I came back in 2000. And by well, the way, we're, we're talking about 2000 here. It reminds me before we end up wrapping up here and getting to, to Marcus's interview, uh, cause he's standing by. I do want to do a sh- another shameless plug because I am a hoa, um, strictly business this past week. Um, got an interview with Brian Badal. Now, a lot of you that listen to 83 weeks on a regular basis, you know who Brian Badal was. Brian Badal was the guy along with Steve Greenberg, his partner. I teamed up with to acquire WCW from Turner broadcasting. John Alba and I on strictly business had a pretty interesting conversation with Brian Badal. Brian Badal is a guy that started sports classic or classic sports network, started his own cable TV channel, which he then sold to ESPN created college sports TV, which he then sold to CBS, uh, launched a company called Bedrock Media Ventures, who invest in startup media and tech companies. Brian knows a lot, Harvard grad, you know, and dug in deep with Turner Broadcasting and WCW in that acquisition process. And we talk a lot about what's going on in right now with WWE. So if you want that kind of expert opinion, um, Brian Badal certainly raised our game by joining us. And it's a very interesting. You can catch it on YouTube or catch it on your pod, on, on the podcast. Yeah, it's here on your feed if you're listening on the RSS. But I recommend you go check it out on YouTube. Uh, that is the, the best place to enjoy the podcast these days uh, now that we've got the video component. Listen, uh, in 2000, Buffs in the U.S. title picture, chasing Lance Storm without success. He does win the tag titles once more. This time with his old pal, Shane Douglas. Maybe people after this episode will start talking about Buff Bagwell as one of the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time. 
Uh, as a reminder, team package is not a manscaped reference. It's the team of Ric Flair and, uh, Lex Luger, uh, or I'm sorry, um, uh, buff Bagwell and Lex Luger, but like all the buffs tag title runs, it, uh, it ends in a month. Um, but this time it's because of life outside of the ring. There's an ugly incident that makes the paper in May of 2000. I guess Marcus, um, had some battery charges filed against him for striking someone who, who worked to put together the show. Um, I don't know any details about this. I think ultimately it was settled outside of court, but whenever you hear that, Hey, one of our talent got into a physical altercation with a stage hand or something like that, that's, uh, that's gotta be something Turner doesn't want on their desk. Right. Yeah, that's an issue. That's that's a serious issue, and you know we 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 all have heard the term unsafe working environment thrown around. It's it's kind of a legal um, standard, I guess, but it gets thrown around a lot, and not necessarily incorrectly. I'm not criticizing that, but that is an example of an unsafe working environment. There's a lot of exposure there, you know, uh, legally, so. Yeah, that's a no-no. But I think a lot of that has to do, do going back to what I said just a few moments ago about, you know, the things that got a hold of Mark and that he had challenges with because those things affect your judgment. They turn you in. They can. You know, you do – you abuse drugs and alcohol long enough, it will change your brain. It will rewire your personality into a permanent state unless you do something drastic to change it. And I think that was probably a, a manifestation of – you know, some of the challenges and things that Mark was doing at the time, because that's not Mark. That wasn't the Mark that I knew. Right. I mean, he, if he had a problem with you, he'd just, you know, cut promos on you and you'd end up laughing with him at yourself, you know, for Mark to get physical. Saw it also with Ernest Miller backstage in Sturgis. Those were examples of a Mark Bagwell that was like alien to me. Well, let's, um, Let's remind everybody that Buff gets stripped of the the tag titles here by WCW as a result of this. He's suspended for 30 days. And by the time he comes back, that's around the time that you and Hulk are peacing out and and leaving. But in August, something happens when you're not there that we got to at least mention. The infamous Judy Bagwell on a pole match, one of the wildest stipulations we've ever heard of. You weren't a part of it, but I'm sure you saw it. You heard about it. What did you think? I couldn't watch it and just, you know, part of that was me just, you know, I, I wanted so much to not even look back at my wrestling career, just focus on going forward and then add to it that it was just such a stupid idea on the surface that I, I, I couldn't watch it. I just couldn't. Well, we know that uh, he's going to have quite the 2000. He's going to do a bunch of other silly stuff. There's a pregnancy angle with David Flair and Miss Hancock, a first blood match at Halloween Havoc because Flair needs a sample of Bagwell's blood for a DNA test. My goodness. Uh, at Starcade, we'll see uh, Buff become a part of another team. This time it's totally Buff with Lex Luger. They feud with uh, Chronic and uh, Kevin Nash and the tag champs Palumbo and O'Hare through early 2001. And then at WCW Greed, on March 18th, Buff and Luger are going to lose to Palumbo and O'Hare in 52 seconds. And that winds up being Buff's last WCW match. As the company's going to be out of business eight days later, 
there's lots of rumor and innuendo around that match and around the last show, the last nitro that maybe buff was being difficult. Uh, I know you weren't necessarily there, but I, I think you had Johnny Ace trying to sort of run things for you with the hope and the assumption that you were going to get your hands on the thing. Were you hearing that buff was maybe tough to deal with here at the end of WCW? Yeah, not a lot though. It wasn't like a huge problem, but it, in the course of conversation, for example, I would stay in touch with Johnny Laurinaitis, who I did bring in from all Japan, I believe is where he was. Uh, Johnny was very much involved with creative in all Japan. And I wanted somebody, I actually brought Johnny in, not so much to be talent relations as in as much as I really was hoping that Johnny could bring a, a, a much richer approach to finishes than WCW had ever had. That was always like my big challenge at that point. It's like, how do I get better finishes? It was, the, it was our Achilles heel um, was our finishes. And then because of the transition, I bring Johnny in. All of a sudden, I get sent home. A couple days later, a couple months later, they bring me back. Johnny's still there. Now he's in more of a talent relations role. And, yes, we would talk about, you know, some of the talent because I was trying to figure out what we were going to do going forward. And I, I occasionally would would hear references from Johnny about Marcus, but not not in a way that made me go, oh, my God, now what am I going to do with him? Just kind of like notes. Well, I think we all know the story for buff after this, you weren't there. So we can't really talk about it in great detail, but he does pop up briefly with the WWF. I think he loses a a house show match then has that raw match with the WCW champ Booker T in Tacoma. And then shortly thereafter, he's no longer there. Uh, He would wind up uh, joining Raven in a lawsuit against the WWE in 2016. Uh, saying he was never paid royalties uh, consistent with the WWE network content. He had some legal troubles over the last 10 years or so. And we know last year he started working with diamond Dallas page and it feels as if we're about to see the next chapter for buff Bagwell and what's what's next for Mr. Bagwell. But before we do, I want to remind everybody that in my real life, I love helping people save money. And there's no better place to do that right now than savewithconrad.com. If it's one of your New Year's resolutions to get out of debt and get a, get a cheaper monthly payment, have more money, do more travel, spend more time with the family, man, if you can get rid of some of that financial stress, life would be a little easier here in 2023. And that's what we're about at savewithconrad.com. How's this for starters? No house payments for two months. You won't make a payment in February or in March. You're done until April 1st. And that's no April fool's joke. You're going to get a cheaper monthly payment. If you can hear my voice and you're in a 30 year loan or you've got credit card debt, it's not a matter of if we can save you money. It's a matter of how much we routinely help our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. It's not uncommon for us to help people save more than a thousand dollars a month, or in some cases, two or $3,000 a month. The more you owe, the more you can save. Because all of a sudden, in the last few years, you've probably heard your house is worth more than ever. And once you owe this debt, whether it's on a car loan or a credit card or whatever, it's up to you how to pay it back. Now, really ask yourself, self, what is my interest rate on my credit card? I bet you don't even know. But if you do, what is it? 18%, 28%? Well, you know that's too high. Not only is it crazy high, it's also not tax deductible. Whereas the interest you pay on your mortgage is tax deductible. 
So if you can get a better rate and a greater tax deduction and skip your next two house payments and get a cheaper monthly payment, why wouldn't you do that? That's what we help you do at savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. I want to mention too, and you can look this up, we've got an A-plus rating with the BBB. And our reviews are at conradreviews.com. You'll see there, we've got well over a 1,000 five-star reviews. Our average review is 4.72 stars. Our most recent one is from David. He writes five stars, very professional. Jason gave us five stars and says, Jamie was very pleasant to work with and made the process really easy. Chastity gave us five stars and said, easy to work with, very helpful in guiding us through the process. Would definitely recommend. Here's another five star from Jeffrey in North Carolina. Everyone was very helpful, especially Diane. It was great experience for even with someone with less than perfect credit. 100% recommend. That's worth mentioning. You don't need perfect credit to do this. And you might think, well, I had a bankruptcy a couple of years ago. Did you know you can still qualify for a government loan just two or three years outside of bankruptcy? Listen, the reality is we don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. We're going to get you a game plan to figure out where you want to be and work with you every step of the way to make sure you hit those. Whether that's retiring on time, helping your kids pay for college without burdening them with student loans, getting a lower monthly payment, whatever it is, we can help at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, before we get uh, Mr. Bagwell in here, Eric, I also want to remind everybody that as folks are listening to this, tomorrow night over on adfreeshows.com, I can't believe this is real, we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of the very first Royal Rumble. If you thought these promotional wars started with the Monday Night Wars, uh-uh. you see, once upon a time, Vince McMahon thought wrestling on pay-per-view belongs to me. So someone like Jim Crockett had the audacity to try to put a pay-per-view forth, the bunkhouse stampede. What does Vince do? Let's go head to head on free TV and we'll come up with a gimmick match that nobody's ever seen before. And we'll put it on TV for free to sabotage their pay-per-view. We'll call it the rumble Royal and we're going to watch it tomorrow yeah. night on adfreeshows.com with the guy who won the thing. Oh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is coming to adfreeshows.com. You get to watch the show, interact, ask Hacksaw questions about the very first Royal Rumble 35 years ago. If you haven't already, you also want to check out the sit down we had with Nick Patrick as we talk about all things Starcade 1997 and maybe the most critically acclaimed thing we've done on ad free shows, maybe ever, the book with David Crockett in Dusty Rhodes Booking Genius. In J.J. Dillon's handwriting, the actual personal memoirs, memoirs, the book, the booking sheets, shows the gates, the dates, the towns, the houses, the matches. It's all from Jim Crockett Jr.'s personal collection, and we go over it page by page every single month through the year with David Crockett. You don't want to miss it. I don't know what I expected today, man, but today's show has been fun, and somehow it's just going to get better from here. How did we do it today, Eric? I don't know, but like you said, I'm I'm so looking forward to speaking with Marcus. I'm, I'm so excited for him, and I think the best part of the show is coming up in a minute. We have not done this before. Uh, it, it's very rare that we have a guest here on the program, but we felt like given all the recent news and developments, rather than just talk about Marcus Bagwell, why don't we enjoy? Why don't we invite him on the program? So we're going to take one more break, and then when we come back, you're going to hear from Marcus Alexander Bagwell. And now something totally different. We, uh, we promised it. We're going to deliver. I can't believe it. We've got a guest on 83 weeks, Eric, and who better 
than the one and only Mr. Buff Bagwell. Mr. Bagwell, how are you, sir? Hey, man, I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Man, we're excited to be on with you today. We're uh, celebrating your whole career today on 83 Weeks, and I thought, man, what a better way to sort of put a bow on this episode than to speak to the man himself. He <laughs> talks about how you got into WCW and your incredible WCW run, but man, the world's been talking about what Buff is doing these days, and I thought, hey, let's just get it straight from the horse's mouth. How are you, man? I'm doing fantastic. You know, I um, I just been uh, just graduated uh, Tangu, which is my aftercare uh, in Atlanta here. Um, I completed 30 days at Blackberry Covery uh, in the North Georgia area and completed that after 30 days. And I moved into something I never done before, which is something called aftercare. And it's something that I always thought and I've learned with addiction that 30 days just isn't enough. Um, you always tried and think, well, I've been 30, so I'm good now. And I did it three or four other times like that. And it's just not when you take on the aftercare part, um, and continue your sobriety with, with numerous days, with the 90 meetings and 90 days, all the stuff that people hear, but stuff that people don't do. And I actually did it. I did the 90 and 90. I'm a hundred, I'm not a day counter. Uh, my sobriety date is August 27th, but that's actually 148 days today. So, uh, they got a, they got a, a new app now that you can check that out. So, um, but it's 148 days today sober and I've never been 148 days sober in my life. Um, I mean, I really don't think so. When you talk about complete sobriety, 148 days is a huge, so I'm very excited. I am doing things I didn't think I could do. Like I can sleep at night without being medicated from years on the road. I didn't think I could do that, but I can, and it's great. And, uh, and the daytime, uh, with my life going to the gym and stuff, it was a pill. It was a pill for everything. It was a pill to go to the gym. It was a pill to relax. It was a pill to go to sleep. It was a pill to wake up. And then alcohol with it is, it just gets to be a, a crazy world. And, and I was already living in one called professional wrestling. And so, it added right to that, but uh, I got a corral on it. I got, a, got grips of it, and, you know, I'm sober. I feel great. I've been told I look great, so that's all fantastic. So thumbs up over here. I just feel fantastic. Man, that's great to hear. You know, you and Eric go back a long way, and you're you're becoming one of the great success stories in wrestling, of course, with, you know, really the whole world pulling for you. And I think a lot of people, whenever they hear that someone is, trying to better themselves. They take a wait and see approach and, and you've proved all the doubters wrong this time. What, what do you think was different this time for you, Mr. Bagwell, as opposed to the other attempts in the past? I really do think that, um, because when you say the words like, you know, I got it, um, man, I've been clean for 30 days. I've, I've got this and you just don't, you don't ever have this. You don't ever got it. And it was hard for me to, to you know, wrap my head around that because I do have it. I do got it when it comes to something. I, I understand how to work out. I know how to get lean and watch your carbs, but this is, was different. It was a different animal with addiction. And you just, this time I literally had to be a follower and follower in my world was bad, but this time it was a good thing. Being a follower is 90 meetings in 90 days. It is, um, finding an aftercare place that is good, that you can stay sober, having a fantastic 
uh, uh, support team on the outside, having good friends and family, all the things you hear just are so important. And that's what makes a difference this time is, you know, that. But the main thing that makes a difference is, is I was ready this time. You know, Mark Bagwell was tired of being tired. And I just sat back this time and was like, man, it's, it's just, you're 52 years old, Mark. And what are you doing? So along with, you know, Dallas and my support team, like Steve and my niece, Jonna, you know, minus that, it had to be something I was ready to do. And I was, and I tackled it, man. And, you know, I want to say I'm so proud of myself, but that's the last thing you really should do at this stage I'm at. So it's not about being so proud. It's about being happy and glad and excited. And I think all those things is why it's different this time. You know, Mark, you said, you, you said something there that throughout your, probably the largest part of your life, because you've, you've always been physical, you know, from the time you were in high school. Um, and then you segued into to professional wrestling. You may have dabbled in bodybuilding for all I know. You look like you did, whether you did or not. Right. But that mentality and that discipline and, and that drive, you have to convince yourself that you're capable of doing things, whether you are or not, in order to progress competitively. You never walk into a competitive situation with that. Well, most people don't that are good at it with the attitude is of, well, I'm not sure if I can do this or not. You mentally, consciously, and subconsciously, you're constantly telling yourself, I can do this. I can do this. I can beat that guy. I can beat that time. I can do, you know? And after years of conditioning yourself that you can basically do anything you put your mind to when it comes to competition and physical challenges and things, um, if that gets a hold of you. And you think you're capable of doing a lot more than you really are. So that when you said, you know, learning that you don't got it, that had to be a seminal kind of like big pivot point, right? It was huge, and you nailed, you nailed it on the head, and, that's, and it's because of saying at 19 years old, hey, I can do what those guys are doing on TV. I know I can. Um, no, man, you're crazy. You're too small. You're too little. No, no, no. I know I can, and you do that, and so that worked for me. That was my go-to. You tell yourself you can do it. Like Dallas says, it's the story you tell yourself. I told myself I could be a pro wrestler, and I was. Well, fast forward, and you tell yourself that you can get clean and kick this addiction, and all of a sudden, the same, the same path you took doesn't work. So you find yourself, like I said, not being a leader, being a follower, and having to listen, which is very rare for me and very hard for me to do when it's something that I think I'm good at. And... So I listened and had to really learn a whole new way. And it was the same old ABC thing, which is not the way you do it. Being a professional wrestler, being a pro athlete, being a professional bodybuilder. It's, that's not the way you do it. You got to find your niche with addiction, man. You got to, you got to follow people that have been successful. And I found myself having to be a follower and the way I was raised and the family I was raised in a follower was a loser and I'm not a loser. So I thought following was a bad thing, but I learned quick and I give the thanks to Blackberry Covery because they are the ones that gave me the tools to realize that I did need these things. And don't say you've got this. Don't say that you're, you're good. I've got this. The Mark Bible that would say, 
hey, I've got this. I'm good. I'm clean. I did my 30 days, and now I'm, it's time to move on. I'm ready to go. That's ass backwards with addiction. So I really found out that the ways by following did work this time. So I set my goals, and I did them. You know what's cool, Marcus? You know, you, you, and I've really been thinking a lot about, not necessarily you in particular, but you as a part of a, a more macro kind of perspective that I've been able to enjoy lately is, and, I, and I've seen so many people, I mean, you hit it on the head opening up, man, you know, you're a professional wrestler, you're flying around on jets, motorcycles, hundreds of thousands of dollars, girls, fun, all the things that go along with being a star on television, right? And then when you walk away from it, whether you do it voluntarily or involuntarily, whatever, that's such a part of so many people's existence, meaning that they become the character they play on television or they be, they be, they've gotten so dependent on that feedback and validation because you're on television and people react to you and they recognize you that when you take that part of someone's life away from them, very few people that reach a real high level in professional wrestling as you did um, can just leave that behind without some kind of separation anxiety because it's it, it, wrestling was not only what you did, I'm not saying you specifically, but what one did, it becomes who they are. And when that's taken away from them, so is a lot of their identity and validation and confidence. And that's right. when people kind of, I've seen it. I've experienced it myself to, 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 to a degree, you know, and I, I just kept telling myself, man, wrestling was not who I was. It's what I did. And I think in, in our world, you know, our, our peer group of people that we all know and, and love or have loved um, that have succumbed, I think a lot of that has to do with just not being able to walk away from the business and into that next chapter of life. And what's cool about talking to you today is while you were getting that adoration and validation and, and, and all the things that came with being a star in WCW at that time, your new chapter is probably going to give you a lot more real. I don't want to say validation, but you're going to be able to inspire people. You, people are going to listen to you and go, yeah, that's that, God. That's me. I thought I got it. And I didn't get it. Yeah. And he's, and it's working for him. And I think that's really a gift. That's a blessing that you have. And it's something I think is going to carry, carry you forward. And, and you can do whatever you want to do with that, man. Well, you're, I think you're exactly right. And a minute ago, you said validation. Uh, it, 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 really, it really is validation, but let's call it reward. The reward is what's going to be coming for, for me. And, it, and it's going to be a much bigger reward because it's real lives at stake here. It's not a fake TV show, pro wrestling, even though we make that as real as we possibly can. It's not real lives. It's not lives where roofs overheads and you know, families to feed and ruining families with addiction. It's, it's a whole new thing that I'm extremely excited about of, of the levels I can reach with it. And what you're talking about also is the void. Uh, you know, what do you put in this hole that, that WCW and Buff Bagel was in? <laughs> I mean, what do you put in that hole? What's going to fit in there? And the only thing I could find that would fit that worked was beer, alcohol, and drugs. 
and you fill that with something, and that seems like what it was. And now it seems like I fill it with family, God, love, sobriety. And I've never replaced that void with those things before, but that's what it takes to get to where I'm at, even at the early stages I'm at of now. It's just, it really is just, just getting started, man. I mean, even when I graduated at Black Bear, the 30 days, it came to my, my brain when I was giving my speech leading there. I said, I said, look, I said, this, this, this is not where it starts, guys. I said, it starts when we leave that gate. When you leave the gate at Black Bear, that's when recovery starts because it's easy behind those gates. When people are telling you what to do and telling you where to go, all of a sudden you leave that gate and it's up to where you want to go and what your brain wants to do. So that's where support team, family, and aftercare takes place of getting you to the next step, which is where I'm at now and love where I'm at. So awesome. So, so what's next, man? We, um, listen, everybody's wanting to know what's the next chapter of buff going to look like. Well, uh, is the, is the buff character still going to exist? Are we Marcus now? Do we have some, some plans in the entertainment world? Are we just going to continue this path of recovery or what's the next chapter for you, dude? Well, I really believe that there's no, you know, there's no getting rid of buff Bagwell. Buff Bagwell is, is who I am. That's, you know, I see we had, I had so much fun as a character, Buff Bagwell. So I will always be considered Marcus Buff Bagwell um, just because it just people know me that way. But people also know me as Marcus. But there's just no way I'd ever get rid of, you know, the word Buff or Buff Bagwell. And as far as the future, man, the future to me is just like I said, goals at 19 years old to be a professional wrestler as far of a reach as that was and people thinking I was crazy you know I did it and the same goal now is not unreachable to me and it's not too far to put out there and it's to make it back into the ring I'm just 53 years old and in this business that's considered very young and I knew years ago getting into this business I did know that through everything that was coming at me there was one that was majorly in my corner, and that is my age. I mean, I was at WCW at 20 years old. Mm-hmm. I was Rookie of the Year at 22. So, I mean, that is a my, – my television career was over when I was 30. So, you know, I was very young. So I knew that being young was one day going to be a good thing for this business, and here it is. And that's why it's a good thing. Um, so, you know, I'm open to any doors that are coming at us, but at the same time, you know, I would love to do something with recovery and sobriety, but at the same time, I'd love to pro wrestle again and be in the ring. Uh, I would give anything to do that. So I really just, I'm just doing and, and, and recovery. What you do is, is you do what's in front of you, mm-hmm. what is in front of you right now. And what's in front of me right now was coming and talking on a, a podcast with Eric Bischoff and Conrad Thompson, and that's what I'm doing. So you just don't want to get overwhelmed with it, and you just want to make sure that you're comfortable and just know that I'm I'm open to anything that's coming at me, but it all equals sobriety, recovery, and also pro wrestling. So if you do pursue an in-ring career at this point, and by the way, I think a lot of us, myself included, would be pulling for that. I mean, you take a look at what, guys like sting or Jeff Jarrett or Chris Jericho are doing 
and not throwing anybody under the bus, but all of those guys are older than you are and, and, and they're yeah. still operating at a high level and, and doing very well. What do you think would be different in your approach to wrestling with this mentality you have now compared to when you were on top in WCW back in the day and maybe you were uh, youthfully ignorant? You weren't as evolved. You hadn't really uh, become the man you are now. Would your approach be different from a mental standpoint, do you think, and how so? Great question. And uh, first, let me tell you that I've had something happen just this week that was huge to me. And it was um, uh, as a doctor, and his name is Dr. Pandia. And I was able to talk with him this week. And it was just the first time that a light has really gone off for me with since my sobriety and recovery walk has, has started with trying to get some more on my knee finally. And this, this knee has been two and a half years in, in the making of trying to get it better. And, and the whole way working toward getting it done, it's just nothing in Mark Bagwell's life has ever taken two years. And again, having to follow for a change and listen for a change, this has, but the two years is now seems like it's all happened for a reason. And it's time to get down to fixing my knee now, now that I'm fixed. And by both of them being fixed and getting a chance to get back in the ring again, my approach, man, would be exactly the same uh because marcus bagwell's approach marcus bagwell didn't know what a beer was marcus bagwell to drink a beer that just meant i was taking up room in my stomach for protein um so drinking a beer was just taboo uh any kind of pills or or medication like that was it was just taboo that's something that i learned and found out in the world of pro wrestling or through injuries when i broke my neck in 98 was kind of when I first got my first prescription. And that may be when it all kind of really started about, you know, prescriptions and keeping your prescriptions up and then running out. And just that's when the addiction part stops. And nobody says that when you break your neck. They don't go, hey, you take this too many times, you get addicted. They say, you know, uh, you're, you broke your neck, man. You, you need to take this medicine. Take as needed. And, Take, yeah. yeah, take as needed is really a line that's on there and it should be done that way. But when you take it for, hey, I'm bored today, let's have some fun. That's when it gets to be a problem, but you don't know it's a problem. It's just something you start and then it turns into a problem. But, you know, this time it would just be the exact same attack, except I wouldn't, I know what walls and barriers to stay away from this time as far as knowing what it could lead down. When before you're young, you don't know, and drinking beers and popping some pills could be very, very simple and not worried about, but it really did affect my life dramatically, you know? So what I want to do is, you know, I want to teach, inspire other wrestlers to, to stay away from what I did, to not do the, mistake, the mistakes that I made, to make sure they know truly what they're doing and like with my diet, know everything that goes in your mouth. If I cared about my prescription pills and what it was doing to my body, like I cared about my protein and my carbohydrates, this would have never happened. But it does, and it did. But this time it's going to be much different because I'm aware of it. And I would be more logical and use my head more of, you know, knowing who to hang out with, what to do. And just knowing that the attack of this, though, would be, no difference. It would be Mark Bagwell going after something. And when I go after something, I get it. Hey, Mark, we've got, we're doing this. Um, we have a live audience 
that our, our ad-free shows family members get on and we've got some questions for you and we're going to hit them throughout sure. but i want to make sure we get a couple in uh eddie prather uh over at ad-free shows you know wanted to know do you have you leaned on lex have you have you been in contact with lex through this process because i you, you may or may not know this. I, you know, my relationship with Lex was way different, you know, up until a couple of years ago than it is today. And I find him to be a very inspiring individual. Have you worked with him at all through this process? Well, you know, Lex, even back in the day, was a huge part of everything I did. I mean, me and Lex were elbow to elbow for five years. Uh, I mean, he was me, Lex, everywhere we went, training, tanning, um, protein, protein shake to protein shake. I mean, every set in the gym, you know, just, I learned so much from Lex in life and in wrestling. I mean, Lex was just an icon that, that liked Mark Bagwell and Mark Bagwell loved him and respected him to the fullest. And he just, we just clicked, man. We just really clicked. And then you fast forward, you know, 20 years, 25 years. And then now Lex is a huge part of my life again he is he was uh there the day i came home from from rehab the day right before i went to aftercare um he was here for that he's here for my birthday on january 10th he texts me every single day an inspiring biblical psalm and it's just it's just unbelievable i mean he is there all the time and i even thought he had it set up like where he was having it text to me by some kind of clock, but it's him doing it, man. I mean, it's, he is hands-on and has the most utmost respect from me that you could possibly imagine. And he just has got me so many things in life of the knowledge and the business. And now I'm not even tapped into what Lex Luger can do for me now. He just has started with what I'm going to go to him with now on this walk of sobriety recovery and my my christian walk marcus one more and i'm going to hand it back over to conrad because i know i'm bo- bogey in this thing but i'm so fascinated by the process you're going through and and kind of living it vicariously through you and cheering you on but going back to what conrad asked earlier you know in terms of your approach to wrestling you know this is just me observing right from the sidelines um i think it'd be hard for you to come back as a heel really hard Number one, because you've been around so long. You know, one of the things that happens when when guys have been around and been, you know, in the public eye and wrestling for 15, 20, 25, 30 years, is just by virtue of the fact that you're out there, you you end up inheriting a certain level of respect. That's hard for a heel. I used to say this about Ric Flair, because Rick always liked me to heel. But he was Ric Flair. And I, I used to tell him, Rick, you could walk to the ring on live television with a with a herd of puppies walking you to the ring, you could put kerosene on them and light them on fire and people would still cheer you because <laughs> he's been around so long. Would you come back as a baby face? Would you prefer to come back as a heel? And my real question is acknowledging the knee issue, the broken neck issue, you know, a couple of things and, you know, along the way, how would you modify your in-ring presentation compared to what it was 15, 20 years ago? That that is a great question, but that would be something I'd have to cross, you know, once I got in the ring a little bit and started, you know, filling out what really I could do with my knee. What really is my knee 
going to be capable of, you know, of taking. And, you know, I just think that um, um, that's a little too, you know, soon to call as far as, you sure. know, with the knee apart, as far as being up standing to me. But, you know, my brain and my creativity is where I'm going to go with everything that you just said, because with my brain and my creativity and my charisma, the heel baby face thing, I think will take care of itself uh, on paper. You know, you got to realize that, you know, there's no doubt being a baby face is definitely the way to go. But again, when I broke my neck and came out to WCW, a baby face was the way to go. But we shoved it down their throats with being a heel. Right. And it worked. And it worked. So, you know, I do think a baby face is, is the way to go as far as the crowd. As far as my ability in the ring to be able to look at what I can do and be able to control the match and the timing and and all of that being a heel would be a much better way to go at it. But right now it's just about what can I do, period. It's going to be getting in the ring and seeing what this knee can actually do before I cross that bridge. And I wish I was there to be able to say, I'm going to be a baby or I'm going to be a heel and I'm not. So it's really be more of like when, what the knee can take, but just with the amount of charisma and creativity that I'm going to bring to the table, I just know that I can do it again. Um, and I, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind, I'm going to do it again. It's just a matter of what level and how much my knee will go on how great I become again at this, at this sport. Because, Can I give you a quick word of advice? Sure. It won't matter as long as you're having fun. Because okay. if you're having fun doing what you're doing, the audience is going to have fun watching you have fun doing what you're doing. And there's where the success comes from. So just, just fun first, brother. The rest takes care of itself. And you're absolutely right. And that's exactly what Buff Bagwell did. He, I went out and I just had fun and cut up with the people in the crowd and, and look back at it. And that's, that's what I did. And that's what it takes because people do see what you're going through. If they, if you're going through, you're not happy or you're not comfortable or whatever it is, they feed off you. And it was very obvious with watching the Buff Bagwell character, he was having fun. And that's what this is all about. You're exactly right. If you're not having fun, then why do we do it? You know, so you got to have fun first and the rest will follow. You mentioned uh, you want to get comfortable in the ring again. Have you put any thought into what, what school or what trainer you might lean on to, uh, to get yourself ready again? You know, I, I've, I've thought a little bit about that, but it would just be more like some, some friends, like even, you know, just Dallas and Jake just coming and hanging out with me really. Cause when you reach the pinnacle of like a buff bagel or a WCW or, you know, reaching those levels like we did reach in wrestling macho mans and Rick Rudes and Lex Lugers and stings. And just to the, the area that I was in, in the business, you know, do you really have somebody come in and train you? Uh, not, not really. I think it's more a support team with that as well. Having a support team behind me like Dallas and, and Jake just to talk to me about it. Cause these are things that, they do go through and did go through with their, their age and figuring out, can they still go and, you know, what, you know, can they still do it or not? And, and that's a question we all ask ourselves and nobody wants to say, Hey, I can't do this no more. There's no way I'm not able to do that. And, you know, with my knee, that, that may be the, the answer in the end, but right now you can't tell yourself that. Like if somebody had told me in the early ages of bodybuilding that I could never look, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, I would have 
I would have told them they were crazy. I said, yes, I can. I'm going to look like Arnold. Now, I was just young enough that that was what my drive was. And if somebody would have told me that and, and convinced me of it, I probably would have been down or depressed about it. But I didn't know that. I knew that I thought I could look like Arnold. And I got as close as my genetics and my body would let me get to Arnold. But those are the kind of things that people, you just got to find it on your own. And on my own, I'm going to find out what I can do in that ring or not. And I'm excited to find out. I'm real pumped about it. But like Johnny Swinger would be a guy I'd reach out to to come take some bumps with me and wrestle. But there's also guys at the PC here like Dylan and Nathan that are that are in the indie circuit that I trust a lot that can help me, you know, get in the ring and just take some bumps for me and give me some bumps to figure out what's going on. So I'm just really excited about doing it all that over again, you know, because it's just my, I just, my insides just get almost, I just, I get tickled inside when I think about pro wrestling again. I just, it's, it just makes me ignite. When, uh, whenever I know that, Steve, you and, and DDP are hanging around. I assume there is going to be some stuff filmed and we're going to see some sort of project come together in the future. Maybe I'm just making that up, but <laughs> as we go through this hypothetical, journey, what would be the, the, let's say this does become a movie. Your story inspires a bunch of folks and it becomes a movie. What would your, in, in your mind's eye, that final scene, is it you in the Royal rumble? Is it you going in the WWE hall of fame? Is it you? What is that? Do you have in your mind's eye what a perfect storybook ending to this movie that we're sort of living right now would be? Actually, no, because the word ending is nowhere in my vocabulary. Um, there, the word ending is is really not not even in there. It's 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 starting. My 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 journey in recovery and sobriety is starting, and my wrestling career is continuing. Um, so ending, absolutely not. Goals I set would be, you know, getting back in the ring. And once back in the ring, a Royal Rumble. And of course, who don't want to be in the WWE Hall of Fame? I know I do, but I don't look at that as the ending. Um, that may be the ending. And I would, I'd like to talk about that because it's fun to talk about making it to the WWE Hall of Fame. But right now it's about, making it to a WrestleMania for the first time in my whole life, making it to a Royal rumble for the first time in my entire life. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's kind of sad really, but when you think about me and Booker T and Tacoma, Washington, 25 years ago, it just, it's so depressing because I'm the only wrestler, at least I'm throwing it out there. Somebody please prove me wrong about this, but, I'm the only wrestler that I can find that was main event on a major network one week and fired in seven days. I just, that's never happened. I was, well, I, got, I got close as an executive. I lasted a little longer. <laughs> I got, I squeezed four months out of that thing, but you know, <laughs> as we call in the business, that's heat. <laughs> Woo! So, but yeah, so I, I was main event when we hear, keep in mind, I knew it was over in Tacoma. Me and Booker are backstage going, why, why are we wrestling this week? We're covering yeah. our mouths up. We're like, why are we wrestling this week? It's called the invasion. The next week is Atlanta. So we knew something wasn't good, but you can't say nothing because we're just trying to make it through and not get heat. So 
we're main event on TV one week and we're fired the next. Take anything you've heard. My mother called. Uh, the match was bad. Any of those things don't equal firing a buff bagwell, man. It just don't. So, you know, it just, it just hate, I hate it. It's like that, you know, but at the same time, you know, I just think it's, um, you know, it's just kind of crazy to, to think of it like that, but I just, I'm just excited about everything that's coming up. You know, I'm just pumped. Well, listen, man, I appreciate all the time today. I don't really know what, what I expected today, but this has exceeded all of my expectations. Just so happy you were able to take a few minutes and catch up with us here today. Tell everybody how they can keep up with what's, what's next for Buff Bagwell. Are you using social media or is there a place we can check in and see what's up? Absolutely. Uh, Marcus Buff Bagwell at gmail.com is the best way to, you know, that's, that's, that's how you, that's how my email, that's my email address. And then MarcusBuffBagwell.com is where you go to my website. And that gets you to all my social media, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, all that stuff. All my handles are on there. So go to MarcusBuffBagwell.com and that'll lead you to everywhere you want to go. And it'll also tell you kind of what's going on in my world. So, and uh, also with me right now, it's just, I'm just getting back on the road again and just starting to do a lot of signings and stuff. I did WrestleCade. I saw Eric at WrestleCade, which was great. And just, you know, just getting back out there again. But I do, I do uh, want to, and I'm very excited about doing uh, like motivational talks to, to recovery groups and about, about my walk, uh, because it really is. It's it's it was a crazy crazy walk, man, and and we've all got a a crazy story that goes with it, and I just want to tell it to where it's not crazy no more. It's a logical story that happened, but of a crazy background. So, but it's a great ending um, to tell that you know about the recovery, the start of my sobriety, and the start of this recovery walk because it's a new me, and I'm excited about the new me again. Well said, man. Can't thank you enough for the time. Everybody check it out. MarcusPuffBagwell.com. Get all the latest and greatest on what's going on with Mr. Bagwell. And man, we're pulling for you. We can't wait to see what's next. Thank you so much for the time today. I appreciate you guys so much, man. It's great seeing you, Eric. Good to see you, Marcus. And I just want to say I'm, I'm, you're inspiring to me. You, you, I'm so happy for you. I can't tell you. Well, I really appreciate it. That means a lot to me, man. And looking at you in the screen, it just brings back so many great memories, man, of just what we did and how much fun we had while doing it. And you were just, I want you to know personally that you were a huge part of my life. And I know somewhere in your body, you've got to know that because when Mark Bagwell talks to anybody, they, I look them in the eye and they can feel that Mark Bagwell likes them or not. And I know you've seen eyes that look at you like, I love you because I do love Eric Bischoff. And Eric Bischoff was always in my corner, no matter what, from Harley's to any situation. You were you always had my back. And I just remember all that stuff always. And I just want you to know, every time I hear your name or think about you, I think about the wonderful things that you were part of my life. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that so much. Absolutely. Thanks for checking out 83 Weeks, everybody. We'll see you next week right here.
John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.